get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. uncertain right now I mean, we'll know more tomorrow for sure but it's you know yeah it's tough we've injuries all year really on the back end guys missing and things like that but you know there's you got to just go you got to keep playing and guys will step in and do the job you know Santini will be up here tomorrow so he might get up you know he might be in the lineup we'll see how things go Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live from Enterprise Center, where right now, sta- taking place right in front of us, Alex Breaking Ferrario, news. The St. Louis Blues are taking morning skate. Some disappointing news, that audio courtesy of the fast lane. Craig Berube talking about the Blues' current injuries that they're dealing with. No Robert Bortuzzo. No Nick Letty on the ice this morning. Marco Scandella is a part of morning skate. However, he is skating with the extras. It looks like he was going through some stuff with uh, Scott Perunovic. So your lineup for the defensive pairings as of now, obviously this could change depending on what happens between now and tonight. But it is Nico Mikola with Colton Pareko on that top pairing defensively. Tori Krug in his usual spot with Justin Falk. And your third pairing defensively in game number three of the first round of the playoffs. Callie Rosen and Steve Santini. Here we go. It's not as bad as you're making it out to be, BK. Like, let's not panic and just assume that game three is going immediately to Minnesota here. And I know, can't send in the text, Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Of course you're going to say that, Ferrario. You're a homer. <laughs> is it ideal? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But so the team that was already light defensively being without three defensemen that were helping them, you you would agree. <laughs> not ideal. Not ideal. <laughs> but I, I just uh, this this puts a lot more pressure on your big three defensemen. 
it puts a lot of pressure on Colton Pareko, on Justin Falk, and on Tory Crew. Now, obviously, there's pressure on Nico Mikola because he's going to be playing in that role, and Santini and Callie Rosen. But the reason I say those three is because they have to be the most disciplined ones out there on the ice. You can't see what took place in game two happen tonight. Justin Falk going into the penalty box in the first period where the Blues don't have penalty killers. If they can keep this game a lot more disciplined than the way they played in the past, and Craig Berube said it on the fast lane yesterday, you're on home ice. Keep it simple. If you can do those things, I don't believe you're going to be putting yourself in a bad position in terms of defensemen. Nico Mikula is going to have to find a way to step his game up. I actually don't mind the idea of Steve Santini playing because I thought Santini played really well for the Blues last season. He was one of those guys that wasn't noticeable when he was on the ice, and he's not going to be relied upon to be playing 18, 19 minutes. So I'm not I'm not shipping off game three right now and just assuming the Blues are down two games to one. I think they just as much have a legit shot against Minnesota in game three as they did before these injuries. Okay, that, that part I disagree with completely. Like, they, they are definitely worse now than they were prior to these injuries, and That's, there's no argument against that. that there is, though. I, I mean, look, defensively you're taking a hit, but the t it's not like this team was – awe-inspiring defensively in game one. They gave up 37 shots, BK. It's yeah. not like they ran away and were playing the shutdown defense that we've seen in 2019. You got great goaltending. Nick was awesome in game one. Underst he was a huge part of what you tried to do. Also, he's been great on the power play. Understandably so. And now you're so. without that guy. So you, you He's do not playing on your power play, though. You got Tori Krug and you're going to put Justin Falk on your power play. Now you are. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. Justin Falk can play on the power play for you. He's played it in the past. I understand. I'm I'm pushing back against the notion that they're not worse today than they were prior to these injuries. They objectively are. There, there's no argument against it. You are worse because Marco Scandella is not out there. That stinks. It's really a bummer. You are worse because you had Nick Letty, who you traded for, and we all agree he did a lot for them. And by the way, here's Craig Berube last night talking on the fast lane about what the Blues are missing without Nick Letty being in the lineup. Yeah, he's, you know, kind of an all-around D. I mean, I thought he really handled Kaprasov well in game one. You know, did a good job there. And then, you know, he moves pucks out of our zone. He's got great composure. But he really handles the rush well, uh, defend, defending-wise. So that's, you know, we'll miss that. But, uh, you know, and then experience. I mean, he's he's played in 125 uh, playoff games, I think. So, you know, that's hard to replace, right? It's impossible to replace. You just can't. Like, you can't one-for-one one replace that guy on your blue line, and it's why they had to trade for him, because they needed somebody like Nick Letty, and he's done a really good job. I can't say that Doug Armstrong deserves credit for finding Nick Letty and sending off the right amount of capital to get him, and then also say it's not a big deal that they're losing him. It's a huge deal. It's a massive deal that they're not going to have Nick Letty potentially in the lineup tonight, as if you missed our open, he is not at morning skate right now with the Blues. That being said, I do not think it's completely doom and gloom. But the Blues are going to have to outscore their mistakes defensively because you're going to get some tonight. Like we saw in the in the last game, Nico Mikola made some defensive lapses. And the the one that immediately comes to mind for me is the breakaway that was against him where he just gave up his body. He he laid on the ice and he didn't take away the pass, didn't take away the shot. He was just kind of there. And it ended up being a 2 on 0 against your goalie. You can't have that. Mikula has to be better tonight than he was in the last game. So that's part of it. 
but also your offense is just going to have to be spectacular. Like to win tonight, I think you've got to score at least four goals. Anything less than that, and I can't count on this team to win against the Minnesota Wild after it looked like they got their offense back on track. So I would say you got to kind of sell out in some ways for offense in this game because of what you lack right now defensively. I, I think they're going to have to be very good offensively. I, I won't disagree with you there, but I also think that the forwards are going to have to be just as responsible defensively. There's going to have to be a lot of back-checking that goes into tonight's game. There's going to have to be a lot of focus in their own zone, making sure that players aren't getting backdoor passes or parking themselves in front of the net. And that's just, I mean, that's that's the takeaways from game two is what you're implementing into game three tonight. You take away that Nico Mikola fall on the ice. You take away the broken stick and you take away the Vladimir Tarasenko turnover that he had in his own zone. Those are three three goals that are off the board. You take the empty netter away. We're talking about a different hockey game here. So it but I comes, can't take those things away. You absolutely can. But they're little mistakes that don't happen all of the time. But for this team, they have. And, and that's, like, that's but my in, concern. But in April, they have tightened those areas up. Because of Nick Letty and Marco Scandella. I think they were a huge part of that. And that, that's what I'm getting at here is like the neutral zone turnovers and the turnovers in their own end that we have seen or that we really saw in the last game, that was stuff that had gotten cleaned up pretty well. I think they did a really good job of that down the stretch of avoiding those kinds of turnovers. And that's what led to the point streak and not having those guys in that are super predictable defensively. It, it does make me concerned a little bit going into tonight's game. And again, I don't want to be negative Nancy today. It's game three of the NHL playoffs in the first round with between the Blues and the Wild. And I'm super excited. I got tickets tonight. I paid for tickets because I'm excited for tonight's game here at Enterprise Center. You're going to have the home, home ice advantage. You're going to be able to dictate the matchups. Those are great things for you. Offensively, I think the Blues can take advantage of some of those matchups that they have. But... I'm not going to sit here and pretend like this isn't a lot to have to overcome. It's a cluster injury. You've got three defensemen now that they were counting on in a big way, two of which were significant penalty killers, the other of which is going to help you on the power play. And we came into this series believing that the Blue special teams were going to be maybe their single biggest advantage in the playoff or in this series. I, I, I am concerned because of that. It does not mean that they can't win. It does not. It just got a heck of a lot harder with what they do not have personnel-wise going into the game tonight. But, Alex, you have said this all along. If there is anybody that I trust to be able to get this team to play up to its peak potential tonight, and maybe he's got some magic with Steve Santini and Callie Rosen's going to have a great game, it's Craig Berube. I trust Berube to get the most out of these guys. He's done a great job. He's going to find a way to get the most and maximize these guys with the matchups. He'll put them in there and he'll platoon them the way that they did earlier this season. He will do the best that he can with the players that he has available to them. It's just hard for me to watch what they have available to them and say, yeah, this is going to be the same task at hand that it would have been if they had their full allotment of, of players. I just I go back to the way they played in the second game. And with the exception of that first period, I thought the Blues played Minnesota really well in the second and then third period. And they were nearly in that game with the other mistakes. But you're right. I mean, they're going to have to get a lot from individuals that you weren't expecting to get stuff from. But, you know, Callie Rosen looked a little lost in that game number two so he's one i'll be focusing in on and then of course the nico mikola with that top pair finding a way to handle the caprice offline i'm not as upset with the steve santini because again i thought steve played really well for the blues last year i was a little surprised that he didn't get any calls call-ups this year but blues really didn't have problems on the right side it was on the left side so you're gonna have to get some craig berube magic you're gonna have to get the matchups but i think 
a lot of a lot of the the missteps for the Blues will come down to finding finding a way to keep this at even strength. Tanner, where are you out on this? How are you feeling about the Blues going into tonight after these injuries and the latest updates that we've got today? I'm with you, BK. I'm a little bit worried about how this team is going to be tonight. Is there? They, it's not like I'm going to write them off and give the wild game three, but I am concerned because this feels like, I think we mentioned this uh, yesterday potentially, this feels a little bit like that San Jose Shark Series in 2019 where they just dealt with a ton of injuries and they couldn't overcome it. I mean, we're missing three of your top six defensemen are the Blues. So it's going to be tough for the St. Louis Blues to overcome uh, all these injuries. Can they do it? Sure, absolutely. Uh, the third pairing, I don't think you're going to see a lot of those guys out there tonight that you're just going to focus on the top four. And I, I agree with Alex's point. It comes down to just keeping this kind of fundamental and staying five on five because if Justin Falk doesn't take those two penalties in the first period, I think the Blues have a chance to keep that game a lot closer in that first period in game two and we're talking about potentially being up 2-0 instead of being tied 1-1 coming back here to Enterprise. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show throughout the day today. I get it guys. I, I understand if you, if you think I'm being negative, I get it. Uh, from the 314, BK, your vibe is turning me off. Listen to Alex. If you want doom and gloom, then talk about the Cardinal shortstop position. Trust me, we'll talk about that. I'm going to bring some positivity into your life today when That's it comes to their, bring positivity. Their How are you possibly bringing positivity into our lives with that? Hey, trust me, I got you. Uh, if you need somebody to bring you up in life, I got you on the Cardinals from the 314. BK, negativity is a choice from the 618. If they don't get at least one of these defensemen back by game four, this series is over. I'm not there. I, I am very much not there. I do think things got a lot tougher with the way that these injuries have been clustered on the Blues defense. I hope they're able to overcome them, man. This would be one hell of a story if they are able to. And it... I hope Callie Rosen has an awesome game tonight. I hope Steve Santini comes up and he's exactly what the doctor ordered for them defensively. I just got some concerns about it. I would also say this too. I mean, just because they're not out here does not mean that they won't be playing. And I know that sounds crazy to say, but there have been times in the past where guys have been injured and they tell them, you know what, don't worry about skating. We'll see if you're available for tonight. It's highly unlikely. And we'll hopefully hear from Craig Berube around noon, but I could see a scenario where a Robert Bortuzzo is just basically saying, I'm not going to skate in the morning. Yeah, maybe he's getting treatment right but now. But I'll be ready know. to go. Yeah, so, like, we could find out that both guys are, all three guys are game-time decisions. The one that I'd be hesitant about saying is going to play is Marco Scandella because the fact that he's skating and they're keeping him with Scott Perunovic on those extras kind of tells me that he, for some reason, still is not ready. Yeah, 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, is there a chance Scandella plays tonight, and would you rather have a 70% Scandella or Santini? at 100%. If Scandella can play, I want him out there. Like, full stop. If he feels like he can go, I want him out there. But we talked about this yesterday, Alex. If you think that you're going to be able to get out there maybe for the first period, feel good about it, and then your knee tightens up on you going into the second, and you know it, there's a pretty good chance I'm not going to be able to help him in the second and third periods. Yeah, you don't want to play where you have five defensemen come the second yeah, period. You That's can't a waste. do that to play down a man once again. So, uh, fingers crossed, they will be able to get maybe one maybe multiple of those guys by the start of the game tonight. But based on morning skate, uh, the expectation at least should be that none of them are going to be in the lineup. So right now, as of this morning, Mikola's with Pareko, Krug with Falk, and Callie Rosen and Steve Santini, your third pairing defensively. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Like I said, we are out here live at Enterprise Center today, broadcasting live before 
game number three of Blues versus Wild, the first one here in St. Louis. We've got Mike McKenna joining us coming up at 1130 to break down this series from his perspective. He's joining us live from out in L.A. where he's going to be helping out with the TNT coverage of the playoffs this week. And Joey Vitale is going to join us coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. And we will hear live from the coaching staff from Craig Berube potentially some players as well. They'll have the interviews down in the uh, press room coming up around 12 o'clock, and we'll bring those to you right here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Tyler O'Neill and Juan Yepes completely changed the lineup last night. If this continues, what's it mean for their offense? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. O'Neal, base hit into center. Two runs will score. Base hit into right for Yepes. He drives in his first in the big leagues. His second hit tonight. And it makes it a 7-1 St. Louis lead. That was a lot of fun last night as the Cardinals take down the Giants on the road 7-1 to in game one of this four-game series. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I thought there were two guys in particular that stood out to me, Alex. One was Tyler O'Neill, who was batting in the cleanup spot last night. They moved Goldie and Arenado up. Those guys batting 2-3. You've got O'Neill 4 now. And Juan Yepes was batting behind him 5th in the lineup. Those two finished yesterday a combined 4 for 9 in the game. And if you look at Tyler O'Neill in his last five games, he's starting to heat up now. 6 for 20, two doubles, a triple, and a home run in that stretch. He does just have a walk and seven strikeouts, but this is Tyler O'Neill. This is classic Tyler O'Neill that we're watching right now. If those two guys get going, it completely changes the way that I look at this lineup. Completely changes the way that one through five, you look at them, especially against right-handed pitching, because... Edmund can hit both ways right now. You've got Goldie and Arenado, who there's no concern with splits. Tyler O'Neill last year was pretty darn good against right-handed pitching. And Juan Yep has nowhere in his minor league career has it shown that he's a guy that's got the splits against righties versus lefties. He's really good against both. So if those five guys at the top of your lineup are hitting, I feel pretty good about that. And then it's just a matter of somebody getting going behind them. Bader's been fine offensively this year. I think there were some signs yesterday and over the last few days now that Yachty is getting back on track. And I think Dylan Carlson had a really good night last night as well. But really, for me, it comes down to those two. Tyler O'Neill and Juan Yepes, who appears to be gaining some traction right now as a designated hitter option against right-handed pitching. It's insane that we're already talking about Juan Yepes in that frame, but rightfully so. I mean, what? how many runs have they scored in two games with him in the lineup? It's 17 in the last two. I mean, there's your answer right there. You Sometimes you just need some type of spark in whatever sport it might be. And for baseball, you're just looking for one guy who can maybe ignite a little bit of a fire for your team. And Juan Yepes, I guarantee, has had that hunger to get into a major league game because he didn't make the team out of spring training. And I guess that's why I'm leaning a little bit more towards Juan Yepes. Of course, if Tyler O'Neill starts to hit, then my opinion on this offense is definitely going to change. But it also flips when you get a guy like Juan Yepes hitting because you have another legitimate threat but it's also a legitimate threat in a position that has just been so inconsistent for you. And now you can have a little bit more lethal weapons in the middle of your lineup. My only hesitancy, though, with this offense to sit here and be excited about it is who do they face pitching-wise? I, I just, they've, 
I mean, every every reliever the Giants have to offer. Yeah, so that was – and then, of course, you had the Kansas City Royals with a guy who got – That one didn't count. He got yanked. Who, I'm not, I'm not right. talking at all about that Royals game because they went up against a lefty starter. They ended up doing most of their damage against a lefty reliever. Like, that one I kind of write off to the side. Uh, I, I do think last night was a little different. Although their their issue, to your point, Alex, has been kind of the righty starters. That's been what's given them. The it's most just trouble. those big time starters, and that's why for me, I, I want to see I want to see a legit matchup for this offense before well, I can two. sit here exactly. So Cobb, that's Cobb and Webb. Those are two legit top front end starters yeah. for the, for the Giants that you're going to see over the next couple of nights. And that's where I'll start to sit here, T Bone, and say, okay, I'm in on this offense. Yeah, I've liked what I've seen from Tyler O'Neill. I'm starting to buy into him kind of turning things around. And, and what I've seen from Yepes I've really liked because he doesn't look outmatched at all. It's not like he's four for seven since he's been called up in his two games with two doubles and an RBI. So, and it's not like they've been, he had blue doubles, but he's looked comfortable. I think last night his first at-bat was, what, 12 pitches, if I'm not mistaken? It was I mean, the most impressive at-bat by any Cardinal yesterday, and it did not result in a hit. Yeah, exactly. Did it so, result in a strikeout? Yeah, yeah, but uh, but but it, I feel comfortable with Juan Yepes. It, it's early; things are gonna, could, could change, but this offense still uh, will not reach its ceiling unless Dylan Carlson gets going. So I can't sit here and say, you know, Yepes is hitting and Tyler O'Neill looks better, so this offense is going to reach its ceiling. No, if Yepes is hitting, it's going to be something that we're going to be talking about as depth for this for this lineup because he's a guy when he's right, he's probably hitting, I guess, fifth or sixth where he was last night yeah, in fifth. in the lineup. But you can't get going unless you got Dylan Carlson going. For, to me, this lineup doesn't reach its ceiling unless Dylan Carlson's going. And actually, that's where I would say, you know, D.C. is going to be batting fifth, and then you've got Yep as sixth. To me, that is the ceiling for this lineup. So, like, uh, yeah, if you can get all of them going, that that's the ceiling. But I, I would push back a little bit. If they get Juan Yepes and he starts hitting, he can be what they needed Dylan Carlson to be this year. Like, he could be the guy that fills that production. While Dylan Carlson's trying to get himself back on track, and he's batting right now towards the bottom of your lineup, Yepes can just fill that role where you don't have any splits there. He's somebody that can bat in your top five, and you feel pretty good about it. The biggest issue to me with the lineup so far this year has been Tyler O'Neill because last year you got borderline MVP production out of him, and they were counting on that out of him uh, uh, once again this year. But through the first 20 games of the season, he had just been flat out bad. You had zero power out of him. The underlying numbers were not good. And there was just no real signs of progress. And then over his last five games, you're starting to see it. He's hitting the ball hard again. Over his last two games, he's had a bunch of balls that batted 95-plus miles an hour. Yesterday, his two batted balls, 107 miles per hour on the double, a 90-mile-per-hour line drive uh, single, like, he's starting to look like he's locked in once again. And that, to me, is the single most encouraging sign. This team, I'm not even talking about ceiling. This team can't reach its, like, median projections offensively if Tyler O'Neill is not playing, not even necessarily at an MVP level, at a above average level. They need that guy to bat like 260 with power. Otherwise, this offense is going to struggle the way that it has so far this year. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think Tyler O'Neill is a lot more impactful just on this lineup than like if Dylan Carlson's still struggling, I think you can get by with that. I don't think you can get by if Tyler O'Neill has the first month of the season at any other points this year for this offense. And I mean, we spent a lot of time and I know people 
give us shots at it because of it, saying that they could legitimately have an MV3. If they get back to that level, there's no stopping this team. But right now, you need Tyler O'Neill. And again, it's no coincidence that he's looked better in the last two, and Juan Yepes has looked better, and this team has scored 17 runs. 65780 is the air comfort service X line from the 636, guys. Are those pucks hitting the glass in the background? I could listen to that all day, every day. It is indeed. We are live here at Enterprise Center, where the Blues right now are on the ice for morning skate. We will have an update for you from the coach, uh, uh, Craig Berube, also from a couple of the players, hopefully being made available to the media. We're expecting that to be right around 12 o'clock, so lo- stay locked in for that. Coming up next, Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, now with the Daily Faceoff and TNT covering the NHL playoffs. He's going to join us next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We were going to do this off air, but we came back. So, Al, are the players talking? So, well, Ivan Barbashev is speaking right now. If we want to go join him in the media room, let's do that. Yeah, let's hear from Ivan Barbashev ahead of game number three here at Inter, uh, Enterprise Center. For both you guys, what are some of the big challenges for uh, I don't know. I just uh, I think it's uh, the home crowd. You know, the guys will be really pumped. Uh, we all know how, how good crowd is in St. Louis, uh, especially for the first game. Uh, you know, we just got to keep our emotions in check and uh, just got to go out there and play. So. How about you, Pablo? Your thoughts? Uh, like Barbie says, it's like a big crowd, like everybody, except for uh, this time of year. And uh, we got to handle our emotion and uh, play our game. We will be fine. I mean, you talk about the, the physicality that, that Shen is bringing to the table. What kind of energy that's giving you guys right now? early in the games. Uh, it gives a lot of energy to a team. You know what kind of player he is, and uh, you've seen in the in the previous playoffs run, uh, he always hits big hits too. And uh, he's that kind of player that uh, is going to bring energy, uh, some emotion, and uh, you know he's just a great player all around. And uh, you know it's uh, he's a big part. Of, he's a big part of our team, and uh, you know especially when he plays physical. So it's a big thing for him. Pavel, did you guys, your line specifically, did you guys feel like you were bringing some more offense in the last game? Hope to carry that forward here tonight. Uh, I think we played pretty good second game. We just we create uh, some chances. It doesn't create enough in the first game, but we still got the 4 nothing win, so it doesn't matter who step up. Hopefully our line step up today and... Uh, Pavel Buchnevich and Ivan Barbashev meeting with the media out here at Enterprise Center alongside Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie here on 101 ESPN. I don't just be in front of the net, shoot more pucks. I don't know. He's good goalie, but he's pretty good players too. We can beat him. I don't know. Just shoot more pucks and like nothing special there. Yeah, I agree. I think we just got to make it a little bit uh, difficult for him, uh, especially when uh, the puck gets on top, but we got to get in front and, uh, you know, uh, a good screen will help us. Uh, that's what, th- this is something we were missing last game a lot. Uh, there was just uh, a lot of empty space in front of him, and uh, but uh, I think we're going to change it uh, tonight, so we're going to get in front of the net and uh, hopefully get some screens and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get some goals from it. 
critic clips and get to the paint, get to the paint, get to the paint. This time of year, why why is that important? How, how do things change in, in that area in front of the net? No, I think it's just like it's it's really important, uh, especially when there's a scream. There could be a lot of rebounds, and uh, I think our team is really playing really well uh, in front of the net, especially with the rebounds and stuff. So I think we just got to get there and, uh, you know, just uh, to make uh, hard on uh, Fleury. So he's a good goalie. He's going to make some saves, but uh, we got to get there and uh, we, could, we just got to do our job. For, for both you guys, you, you, you're going to be missing some of your top defensemen. What can you do as forwards to help the back end? Uh, just step up before uh, in front of them to for check let the RD more time to break the puck up and uh, you know we have a good this and uh, you know those guys wait a chance to play those games and uh, I bet we're gonna play pretty well today yeah I mean we just gotta get the, the puck deep and uh, we just gotta play our game I mean our team is really effective when uh, we get it deep and uh, go play physical for check uh, reload and uh, you know yeah we're missing some good uh, defensemen but uh, uh, I feel like it's going to be more on forwards uh, to not uh, turn the puck over uh, for the most part and uh, just uh, get it deep and go to work so for both you guys uh, can you describe Vladimir Tarasenko's dangerousness and how you saw the goal the other night and you know him well what he brings to this team at this time of year yeah, well, I, I think he's just getting started, you know. Uh, I feel like he didn't have many chances in the first game, but last game he saw some improvement, so uh, he's been shooting more, and uh, hopefully he continues this way, and uh, especially the home games, I, I think their line's going to be buzzing, and uh, it will be really important for us, so for a team. I just think he's, uh, like, you know, everybody, every, everybody knows he's a really good shooter. We just have to give him the puck, me and Thomas, and like he gonna score like he, he scored last game, he got the crossbar, you know, it's, I feel on today it's gonna be like a couple, you know. Pablo, you haven't played a whole lot of playoff games, how's it feel to be back in? Feel great. Hmm? Feel great. Yeah? I like the emotion, like I like the physicality, like you can crush the guys, you know, we can crush you, like, it's like good emotions there, and like I like it. <laughs> Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I think that's the perfect way to end that. Pavel Buchnevich on what he likes about playoff hockey. Quote, we can crush you. I like the emotions. He said, sometimes I like to get hit. And then he chuckled at the end of it. My man is a madman out there. Look, there's a couple of things that, that Ivan Barbashev and Pavel Buchnevich both said in uh, before we hear from Craig Barubi, but the first thing, BK, that they really talked about was getting to the front of the net, and that's how you really combat not having your top defenseman. You spend less time in the offensive zone or in the defensive zone, and the one thing that the Blues did an awful lot in that game, too, was when they were bad, it was a lot of one and duns. When they were good, like the second period, Minnesota didn't know what to do. You were wearing them down. So if the focus can be to try and get to the front of the net, that could be a massive game changer for this team. Yeah, I, I think that was a big one. The, the I thought what Barbie said, quote, there was a lot of empty space in game number two in front of Flurry. That will change tonight, end quote. And then Pavel Buchnevich uh, saying, we're pretty good players too. We can beat him, end quote. They clearly have confidence that they can go out there and beat 
Marc-Andre Fleur. I mean, they saw it in they game did number it. one. They, they saw how, how you can beat this guy. Um, and I actually thought they did a pretty good job of the initial shots on Fleury were really good in game number two. The problem was there was nobody, to their point, there was nobody there for those rebounds because there were a lot of rebound opportunities in front of the net in game two. They just didn't quite take advantage of it the way that you would expect them to. That's where like a guy like, for example, Ivan Barbashev, I think could have a big game here. I think Braden Shin is somebody that can take advantage of that. And David guy, Perron, for sure. Absolutely. The guy that I picked as my... Um, my X factor going into game number one when we did the pregame show together, Alex, was Brandon Sod, and it was for that reason. I think he's exactly the type of playoff performer that you would expect to take advantage of those types of opportunities. Yeah, well, and I mean, he did it, and that's the biggest thing right now is to find a little bit more, find a little bit more space for those other lines, and that's what this mismatch is going to look like tonight. Is Craig Berube trying to find ways to get different guys different opportunities? But Craig Berube, he said it perfectly after or before game two when he was asked, "How do you get more space for Robert Thomas's line?" And he said, "Look, they got to go out there and work. There's yep. not a lot of space in playoff hockey. You've got to go out and make your own space." The Blues did it to a T in game one. They got away from it in the first period in game two. I also think with that topic being discussed. It goes into the other decision from Craig Brewer that we didn't even talk about in the open of the show. Looks like Dakota Josh was going to be getting into this game tonight in the fourth line for Nathan Walker. And what Craig Berube is doing there is, I would imagine, he's saying we need size, but we need guys who are going to create a little bit more havoc on that blue line and Nathan, or on the fourth line. And Nathan Walker got away from that in his last couple of games. Yeah, I, I think Dakota Joshua in this game makes a lot of sense. Uh, the physicality that he's able to bring. Like, uh, Tyler Bozak is a somewhat physical player, but he's really in there to keep everything steady. That That's what his role is on that fourth line. Torpchenko and Joshua are in there to mess people up. Yes. that That is why they will be on the ice. Specifically that fourth line for Minnesota with the Josts, with the Deloriers and the Jacob Middletons because they've been the pests in the first two games yeah, for the Blues. And you can go into this game and you can dictate the matchup, so you assume that that's where you'll see, see them get their work in. So I, I kind of like the decision, honestly. I think Nathan Walker's done a really good job. I know that Craig Berube has talked about, hey, they – they have aced their tests in the first two games. The Absolutely. fourth line has given you everything you wanted other than the penalty, of course, that they decided that it, they ended up taking. It was Nathan Walker, wasn't it, who took yeah. the penalty? Mm-hmm. Um, so other than that, I think they've played really well, better, honestly, than I expected them to in the first couple of games in this series. But I, I like what they've given you. I kind of like the decision, though, to go to Dakota Joshua in this game. And if they're looking for more presence in front of the net, he's exactly the type of player that you expect to give that to you. Yeah, and you're just looking for a little bit more energy. And remember, before Torepchenko returned and Bozak returned, Dakota Joshua, Logan Brown, and Nathan Walker were playing really well for them. They were creating, I mean, Dakota Joshua in that Anaheim Ducks game was probably one of his best games that he had played going into the break, or uh, the, the, the playoffs. So I, I like the decision with Dakota Joshua. I think you're just... This is those decisions that Craig Burby was so good at in 2019, where he would pluck a Joel Edmondson out and he'd put a Robert Bortuzzo in, or he would take a Sammy Blay out and put a Zach Sam, whatever it was. These were the decisions that Craig Burby made that you were like, oh, damn, I didn't expect that to be a factor, but it actually turned into something that the Blues can turn to and say, hey, this was something that lit a fire underneath us. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to be joined by Mike McKenna. We decided to push him back a little bit so we could hear from Scott Perunovich and uh, Ivan Barbashev there for a bit. Alex, should we stay here for Craig Berube or should we go to break and we'll get to him on the other side? I would say let's stay here for Craig Berube, if that's okay, because it sounds like that 
They just wrapped up with uh, Ivan Barbashev and Pavel Buchnevich, and Craig Bruby should be talking shortly. So here's what we'll do. Tanner, can you hit the open for questions and oh, answers? Baby. We'll do some questions and answers until we get to Craig Bruby. Omaha! And then on the other side of this, we'll go ahead and double break into Mike McKenna. Uh, Tanner, we'll do that on the other side. Tanner, do we have the open? Can I say hit the open? You've got oh, questions. Yeah. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you have any questions, get them in now. We'll get to Craig Berube. He should be speaking to the media here in just a little bit. We'll hear from him live as we are out at Enterprise Center for the Blues Morning Skate. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Guys, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your confidence level in the Blues going into game number three? I'd put it at a 7 because... This Blues team and, frankly, these playoffs, it, it, it is such a back-and-forth chess match. One team wins, the other team reacts and wins, and then the next team reacts and wins. There's only two series right now in all of the playoffs that are up 2-0. So I think the Blues are going to fix their mistakes. I think this will be a much tighter game. I think Billy Husso is going to have a much better rebound game, and I think we could be talking about a Blues win. So I'd put the confidence level at about a 7. I would put my confidence level at about a five just because I have concerns about how the defensive core could look with the three guys potentially being out. But I think if, again, we, I mentioned it earlier, if you know, Falk doesn't take those two penalties in the first period, we're talking about potentially a different game too. So if they stay disciplined, stay out of the box, I still like their chances, but I am very worried about three guys being out from that defensive core. So I'm going to say I'm at about a five. Can I get back on the bandwagon here nope. for a second, Alex? Nope, stay off. You stay the hell off of first my bandwagon. First of all, I'm at a six. I'm at a six. That's my answer. You guys remember in like early December, the Blues were without like half of their lineup. Oh, now he turned. This is like when BK one day is like, what if the Cardinals hit? And then uh, this and then Cardinals guess, team hey, can't way, hit. Guess, guess what happened the next two days? Yeah, they hit a bullpen <laughs> and a Kansas runs. City Royals guy who got pulled after the first Forget out. the BKO. This is the BK. Whoa. <laughs> that was terrible. That was I actually kind of like that, but that, <laughs> that's no, not actually going to happen. That was awful. Okay, early December. Let's go back in my Wayback Machine. Charlie Lindgren. We called him Charlie Sideburns. Charlie Lindgren was your goalie. John Gillies was your goalie. And you beat a bunch of teams that you had no chance to beat. Let's go down now to hear from <laughs> the head coach of your St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube, ahead of game number three here in St. Louis. Not much. They're out. That's uh, it. Oh, right. No, they're out. I don't really have much information on them. No real timeline or anything. Either one of them feeling any better today that you know of? Yeah, a little bit, I guess, you know, which is a good sign. You know, I, I really don't, I haven't really communicated that much with them today. Coach, in game number one, you guys really took Caprice out of the game for Minnesota in game two. Again, much more of an impact. Is there anything looking back you can point to that was different than being instructed? Well, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a great player. Like, it's going to be tough to always get on top of him, which, you know, you, you try to do. Um, you try to take away his time and space and limit him puck touches. You know, he got one on the power play, and, and, you know, he did a good job of going to the net. So, like, that's, you know, that's a great job by him by getting on the inside and going to a hard area to get a goal. And we gave him the two-on-one goal at the end of the game. Like, I mean, 
you know, it's we, we don't want to be giving up a two-on-one with him and Zuccarello. Um, again, it's just about trying to take, you know, puck touches away from him as much as possible. That's it. I mean, there's not much more you, I think you can do. You, you got, when you're out there against them, it's important um, you manage the puck well and, and do those types of things. And then um, as five-man units, you got to be aware of them, where he's at. And it's a good line. It's a dangerous line. Uh, possibility, yeah. Really, it's a game time decision. So, well, he's played, you know, he's been one of our D men all year for the most part and a lot of experience. Obviously, he's played a lot of games in the league and playoff games. So, uh, experience, size. You know, he's a good penalty killer for us, and, you know, he plays against top players in the other team, so he does a lot. Frank, if you have to go with Rosen and Santini, how do you approach that? Do the big guys play a lot of minutes? Do you have to protect that for a How do you approach it? Uh, matchups, I think, more than anything, you're at home. you gotta, you got to do a good job there with your matchups, and, you know, a guy like Krug and, I mean, Falk, Krug, and uh, Perinko, you know, they're going to get a lot of ice time. You know, you got to mix and match and, and get the right people on the ice against certain people. Um, but, um, you know, much, there's not much more you can do other than that. They, get, they need to play, you know. Yeah, what, do you want, uh, what do you want out of those two, uh, Rosen and Santini, if they're out there? Yeah, Rosen's doing, I think, what he does. Um, you know, he, he's a good puck mover and he's a good skater, and I think he's doing that stuff. I think he's been doing that stuff for a while for us. You know, on the other side of things, you know, he's going to have to battle hard down in his own zone. Like he's going to have to move pucks quickly on the fort on the breakouts, and he's going to have to battle in the D zone coverage at the net front. They go to the net really well, and so he's going to have to compete, uh, compete his butt off there. And Mikla, we all, he is what he is. He's a big guy. It gets in the way and plays hard hockey, and he he does that stuff. So uh, Mikla just does, needs to be simple with the puck, move it quick, get it out of your zone, and uh, play a simple game. And how about Santini? Yeah, he's same type type of player. He's um, just a stay home D man. Plays hard around the net. Um, you know, he's a disciplined player. Like again, simple puck movement, but he plays a hard game. He's going to get in the way. He's going to be physical. It's going to block shots. Those types of things. Yeah, and heaviness, size. He's a big guy. He can skate well. He gets on top of people. I thought he was playing extremely well before he got sent down. Um, so it's you know it's a it's a good size line with a, a veteran centerman that um, you know can do the job in their own zone. Chief, are you happy with what you're getting from the Shen line right now in the first couple of games, and especially with what he's giving you physically? Yeah, Shen's, Shen's been a good physical player for us uh, so far. I think he's engaged, doing a lot of good things. Now, I, I would like to see more out of that line for sure. I think from an offensive standpoint, they you know they got three guys in there that should be able to generate offense, so we need more from them. How much can, uh, you know, your first home game, how much can a crowd help a team? Oh, you know, listen, it... We're the guys will be excited playing at home. We got a great crowd here, a great fans fan base. It's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of energy in the crowd, and so we just got to make sure we stay a little bit controlled emotion, not get too loose. Um, play simple, play simple, play north. You know to get into the game, and uh, things will settle down, and we'll go play hockey. Greg, what do you guys need to do to make things difficult for Flurry? Traffic for sure. 
like most goalies. Um, you got to get in front of them, screens, tips, make it hard. Go to the go go to the paint hard. Get in there, make it tough on, make it tough on their decor. Um, we weren't in the we we did not get there enough in game two. That's for sure. Uh, we went we addressed that with our team. So that that needs to be a given. You, you guys know the teams know each other so well by this point. I, I suppose well, how close or how thin is the margin uh, in, in your eyes for the first two games? It's it's close. I mean, like I think you know, in game one they had some opportunities early and we got saves. Game two, you know, I thought we we had a real good first ten minutes in the game. I thought you know we looked really sharp, broken stick, and it's in your net and it changes things. And then you know we took a couple penalties after that and they scored on one of them. It, you know, it changes the game. Now you're chasing the game. It's it's close. Like what you saw from the Thomas line in game two, and what was the biggest difference compared to more? They did more things with the puck and on the rush, and made some plays, and then power play. They got a goal, which was good to see. Um, they need to continue to um, use their speed and their ability to make plays, but also they're going to have to, you know, offensive in the offensive zone. They need to again. I'll, t- I'll say it again. They need to get to the inside of the ice more and go to the hard areas. Yeah, you good. Okay. All right, that was Craig Berube, his pre-Game 3 press conference with the media. The big news there, Scandella, a game-time decision. Maybe more importantly, the ones we do know about for sure. Letty and Bortuzzo officially ruled out. Alex, that is not what they typically do. They typically will say, hey, we're going to let this play out. We'll see what happens. Game-time decision uh, for them to rule those guys out this early on in the day uh, is a little... Surprising, yeah, it, it definitely is, and because, like you said, it's usually always a game time decision. But that just tells me that they really aren't ready to go with this, and you never want to speculate with injuries. But obviously, they're both they're both head hits, so that's the one that you're want, most concerned about. Um, Scandella, the game time decision. He was on the ice with uh, the the scratches, the Logan Brown, Nathan Walker, and Scott Pernovich doing some hard work. So trying to get him. Uh, to know if he's ready to go. But, yeah, you know, I guess a positive, if you're going to take anything away from the Letty and Bortuzzo news, is what Berube said after that they were out, said he felt like they were feeling better, so that's good. And right now, we talked about it yesterday, BK, it's the long play. you got to make sure that they're ready to go if this series goes six or seven games and not worry about game three when you can't be eliminated. Yeah, I also thought it was really interesting. When asked what that means for Pareko, Krug, and Falk, he said, quote, they're going to get a lot of ice time. They've got to play. They've got to be ready. It's going to be 25-plus minutes probably for all three of them. And I think that's probably the right way to do it. You're, I bet you see Pareko with Krug, Pareko with Falk, yes. <laughs> any combination mm-hmm. of the three, and it'll just depend on what the situation calls for at that specific moment. If they need offense, Krug and Falk out there. If they need defense, it'll be Pareko with one of Krug or Falk. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the way that they end up playing this out, but those three are going to be on the ice a ton tonight in game number three as we are out here at Enterprise Center where you just heard Craig Berube live here on 101 ESPN. The Wild are about to take the ice for their morning skate, and we are about to hear from Mike McKenna, who is out live in L.A., where he's going to be on the call for TNT tonight. Excited to catch up with him. Want to get his thoughts on Marc-Andre Fleury, Ville Husso, what he expects from those two out of the net tonight. And also, if you're a goalie and you've got this kind of defensive core in front of you, what does that do mentally for you? Do you know you got to be locked in going into a game like this? Talk to Mike McKenna about all of that coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
can't speak to Isaac Bruce, but we're out here at Enterprise <laughs> Center alongside Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie, Tanner Hendrickson holding things down for us back in the studio. And right now, I believe we are going live to Los Angeles. Oh, where LA. Mike McKenna is joining Hollywood. us. Hollywood. I don't, that's the only part I know. Very song. excited to be joined by the former NHL goalie doing some work for TNT this weekend. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. How are you doing today? Man, I'm great. I tell you what, the specific time zone things got me all screwed up. I was up at like <laughs> six in the morning and it felt like I slept in and I hadn't at all. It's just, that's what I'm used to. So yeah, man, I'm pumped. I got to get the chance to do the game tonight between uh, LA Kings and Edmonton Oilers. I'll be down at ice level. Um, something new, something fun, and we will be on TBS tonight. Uh, that's how they've been tag teaming it between TNT and TBS. So the late game, I'll be up there flapping my gums between the benches and hopefully providing a little bit of analysis that people enjoy. And Mike, how much fun are, or how, how excited are for you this? Just because it, it's got to feel like you're back in, like in that atmosphere, right? Like that playoff atmosphere to where you're going to be down on ice level. And I know you're familiar with some of the guys that are playing on both sides. Does that get you amped up a little bit? Does it make you feel like you're playing again? Yeah, I'm feeling the juice, man, for real. Like I, <laughs> I And listen, I know what it's like to be on a bench. I did a lot of that in my career. So this isn't anything foreign to me. And I, I actually think that that's probably a strength of getting to do this is that I did see a lot of hockey from ice level. I'm on the bench. So I'm just excited about it. You've got a series out here in L.A. that's tied one-to-one. Edmonton played fantastic in game two. Los Angeles was able to get a split up in Edmonton in Canada. So coming back here to L.A., it's, there's a lot on the line. And you're right, that heightened atmosphere of playoffs, you can really feel it when you're down on the benches. It's, it's just different, and it's really exciting to be a part of. Well, I'm really looking forward to tonight's game, Mike, here in St. Louis between the Blues and the Wild. This series tied one-to-one, and uh, the the frustrating news today is that the Blues are getting hit with all of these cluster injuries on the blue line, and they're going to be without Letty and Bortuzzo. That was announced just a little bit ago by Craig Berube. They are both officially ruled out. Marco Scandella is listed as a game-time decision. We're out here at Enterprise Center, and he was going through work with the extras, so I'm at least pessimistic on the availability of him. When you see a team going into a game like this with three of their top six defensemen potentially being out, uh, what does that say to you as a former NHL player, Mike? First thing that comes to mind is that the regulars in the Blues lineup are going to be called upon to play a lot of minutes. You're going to see an awful lot of Pareko and Mikola. You're going to see Falk and Krug. I mean, I'd expect all four of them to be above 20 minutes tonight. And that's not to take anything away from what I would assume, guys, Callie Rosen, Steven Santini, looking like that's going to be your uh, your 5-6 for the Blues on the evening. And if that's the case, you know, Santini has some NHL experience. He's played over 100 games. He's even played in the playoffs. But how much are you going to trust him? How much are you going to trust Callie Rosen to really carry the load? You know, you're going to minimize it to a certain extent. So it's going to be a hard game for the top pairings for the Blues. And I think it's going to be something that bench boss Craig Berube and his staff are really going to be looking at in terms of when they can filter in Rosen and Santini, not just together, but also, you know, maybe taking some shifts with the top four to lighten that load a little bit. Mike, you, you did an awesome piece on Daily Faceoff just reacting to Game 2 between Minnesota and St. Louis. And, and in your article, you talked about how Kirill Kaprizov earned the bounces and how Marcus Foligno had his fingerprints all over the game, and that was because they had a lot of net front presence. How do the Blues defensively, with or without Nick Letty and Robert Bortuzzo, how do they keep those guys away from doing that coming into Game 3? 
You know, when it comes to Kaprizov, your best defense against a player like him, who's one of the true superstars in the NHL, I mean, a top 10 player in the league in my eyes, is that you have to skate. You have to move your feet if you're the St. Louis Blues because you don't want to allow Kaprizov the chance to wheel freely in the offensive zone, not just in the net front. You can win those battles, but you're also dependent upon your forwards to be able to keep him from carrying the puck across the line, to have free movement. That's important. And someone like Marcus Foligno, man, you just got to be able to bury in. Like, this is a guy that you're going to want Colton Pareko out against as much as you possibly can on defensive draws if he's on the ice. Foligno, it's not just in the offensive zone in front of the net. Foligno's a wrecking ball all over. And what I appreciate about his game is that he's able to play up to the threshold without going over. Foligno is really good at being aggressive and in your face without spending time in the penalty box. That's something that his linemate Jordan Greenway has not done a good job of this year. He's been in the box. So I think for the Blues, they have got to move their feet. They've got to have good gaps. And when it comes down to it, they've got to win the net front battles in front of their own net. Mike, this is my final question for you. We're talking to Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, now with the daily faceoff. You'll see him tonight on the call for Edmonton versus L.A. live in L.A. on TBS. Take me inside the mind of a Ville Husso going into a game like this where you know uh, you got to step your game up because you're going to be without a few of those regulars in the lineup defensively. What do you think is going through Ville Husso's mind this morning and then going into the game tonight? You know, I would expect Ville Husso to approach it the exact same way he has game one and two and really most of this season. He, he's got a really zen, a, kind of a zen mindset that I see where not much phases him. And that's outwardly. We never know inwardly what that is. But for a goaltender, your job is to go out there and stop the puck. And you can simplify that as much as you need. You can't help who's playing around you. Now, I do think it's important for Huso to take a look and realize what Santini, what Rosen, what they prefer, and make sure that communication is very good during the game, leading up to the game between the periods. But for Huso, nothing changes. You're hoping your teammates play their best in front of you. You make the saves you need to. And you get more of what you had in game one. When I think Huso was a major factor, I don't think he was poor in game two by any stretch, but he wasn't the game breaker that he was in game one. So for him, it's just a matter of going out, sticking to his principles and his mechanics, making sure he executes and he's nice and crisp. That's the foundation of his game. And I think he's just going to be worried about what he does on the ice, even more so than what his teammates do in front of him. Mike, final one from me. I know you're headed to morning skate between the Kings and Oilers, but I am just curious. You've been at home playoff atmospheres before, whether it's the NHL or AHL or, heck, even as a broadcaster. Craig Berube has already talked about how they've got to make sure that they temper that excitement going into this one tonight. How difficult is that as a player? Well, it's tough because the heightened intensity. Everybody wants to leave their mark on a game. You want to go out and make the big hit. You want to make the play. You want to be aggressive. Why? Because in playoff hockey, that's deemed the most important aspect is the aggressiveness, the hitting, the forecheck. But you also don't want to sit in the box. And, and I even look at players like Justin Falk, who to me, he's taken some penalties that were pretty questionable. Like he, he's got to be better. He has to stay out of the box. The team will need him tonight. It's important to play up to that threshold, like I said, like Felino's good at. But you got to remain in control because, let's face it here, St. Louis hasn't been disciplined. The the big talk with special teams in this series and how the Blues won it in Game 1 and the Wild were better in Game 2, well, you don't want to see four, five, six penalty kills if it's on your side of the ledger. You want to stay out of the box. You want to play five on five because that's the strength of the Blues. They've got to play with speed. They've got to play attacking the net. And if they're killing penalties, 
they don't even get the chance to gain that momentum. So they've got to temper it. And now by game three of the series, you know what you're getting. You know who you're facing. It should be easier for them this evening, and I think they've adjusted to what the referees are now calling in the postseason. He's Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie. If you're watching TBS tonight, you'll see him between the benches on TBS for Edmonton versus L.A. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll talk to you again next week. That sounds great. Enjoy, everybody. And uh, I might wink at you on the air if anybody's uh, watching. I probably I'll probably be watching. Maybe I will. So I'm going to have a TV on. The city of St. Louis. I'm going to have a TV on up in here, Mike, just so I can see that wink. So I'm looking forward to it, buddy. Good luck tonight. Thank you. Talk to you next week. See you, buddy. Got it. That's Mike McKenna joining us here on 101 ESPN. Why don't you ever wink for people? Huh? We're on the radio, man. Well, tell I mean, people. if you want me to wink at all of our listeners right now, here we go. In three, two, and one. He didn't even do it. T-Bone, you nice saw that he lied, didn't he? Yeah, By the way, we had... Uh, we didn't even get to go back to it because we went to Baruby and then we had to get to Mike McKenna. We had so many text messages that said that our new segment should be called BKO or BKWO. <laughs> and honestly, I'm on board with that. I think we need a new segment weekly called BKO or BKWO. You need to come up with like 10 takes for a certain game. And we'll tell you if you BKO'd it. Or if you BKO'd it. Okay. I'm not sure exactly how that would play. I just, but ga- we, we I could, just gave it to you, man. We, we, could find out a, we could find a way to do You're something You're not the only like one with great ideas on this show. No, I, I'm saying we'd, we'd have to flush it out a little bit, but I like the, I like the concept. What I are, think we, it makes what are we flushing? BK's negativity down the drain because Blues are winning in game three. Woo! Joey Vitale is going to join us. We believe in studio. Maybe, possibly. We'll see. Joey's going to join us at some point here in the next 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, you want some positivity? Oh, please don't tell me it's about the Cardinal shortstop. It's about Paul DeYoung. Oh and we'll tell God. you what it is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The offense plays. The kid's got 11 home runs in 22 minor league games. At some point, he's going to be in the big leagues. And Tommy Edmonds got it on base well over 400. Had three hits again yesterday. All he does is hit. Tommy Edmonds plays. And yes, you might take a, a, a small step back defensively, but I remember the Cardinals winning the World Series with a guy named David Eckstein who couldn't throw the ball from the hole to first base without it bouncing. When Ozzie Smith's arm was actually injured and he no longer had a cannon to get over there, he didn't have a rocket of a throwing arm. Yes, he's the greatest defensive player I've ever seen, but, I mean, Tommy Edmonds going to be fine. He played a lot of shortstop at Stanford. He'll be fine. That was Greg Amsinger on the morning show Someone agrees today. with me. Not sure I totally agree with the assessment, but I do think that there is reason to believe Tommy Edmond would be okay at shortstop, for what it's worth. I'm not totally pushing back on that notion. I want to say that on the front I, end. I just love the fact that he comped it to David Eckstein because that's what I've been saying all along. And David Eckstein, he wasn't the best defensive player, but you know what? What did he do, BK? He got, say it with me, kids, he got the job done. Yeah. He did. And they won a World Series as a result. You're damn right they did. MVP. Meanwhile, you know who else is getting the job done, Alex? Tommy Edmond. Paul DeYoung. No, that's not true. Paul DeYoung is getting the job done at shortstop. And I'm certainly not talking about what he's doing at the plate because he's been atrocious. Whoa. So far this year, there is no way for me to sugarcoat this in his last 50 at-bats. So this is dating back his last 15 starts. He's batting 100. 
He's getting on base at a 179 clip. Tanner, you don't have to pull the numbers. I know that's worse than what most pitchers did last year. I know. Tanner texted us last night after Paul DeYoung's first at bat, and it just was Adam Wainwright, the greater than sign, Paul DeYoung's name. Paul DeYoung in his last 50 at bats has a lower on base (laughs) percentage than the winning percentage is currently for the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, my God. Uh, Not great. No, that's not great. It is not what you want. But let me polish this up for you a little bit. Can't polish this turd, but go for it. Paul DeYoung has been arguably the best defensive shortstop in baseball so far this year. By the numbers. Prove it. I can show it to you, man. The the defensive run saved this year for Paul DeYoung. I think he's up to plus seven on defensive run saved so far on the season. Why he's been so defensive. Excellent defensively this year. And I'm starting to wonder Uh-oh. if Edmund, Goldie, Arenado, O'Neal, Yepes and Carlson. If those guys start hitting, and yesterday, for what it's worth, you could even add Yadier Molina onto this list who hit his first home run of the season and looked like he's kind of figured out his timing issues. Hey, T-Bone, BKO or BKO? Yadier Molina hitting. Uh, That's a BKO. BKO, yeah. If those seven guys are hitting... I'm not super. <laughs> exactly. I'm not. Hey, if all six Blues defensemen play well tonight, They're the Blues win. are coming away with hey. a game three victory. Uh, no, it, actually, that's a great comparison, Alex. If your top five defensemen play well tonight, I'm not all that worried about what Steve Santini does because you, f- you figure it out there, right? <laughs> if the rest of your lineup is hitting, I can deal with Paul DeYoung just being out there for his defense. I can. I can live with that. And I looked this up last night to be able to continue polishing this up just a little bit. Of the last decade, here are some of the starting shortstops and what they did in terms of their OPS plus that season and how they performed for their respective teams. So Dansby Swanson, who is maybe the most overrated player in baseball. I thought Ozzy Albies was. Why do you hate the Atlanta Braves? Their middle infield is overrated. Uh, and then they went on to win the World Series. So good because job of their BK. middle infield. Uh, Dansby Swanson last year had a 97 OPS plus. And if you're if you're not familiar with this, it's on a scale of 100, where 100 is exactly league average. So Dansby Swanson last year was 3% below league average offensively. Addison Russell, when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, was 6% below league average offensively. The best comparison for what the Cardinals might need to get out of Paul DeYoung this year is probably Alcides Escobar, who was the Royals' starting shortstop in their run to the World Series in 2015. He was 33% below league average offensively that year. And then if you go back a decade, 2012, for the Giants, this was before Brandon Crawford became the player that we ultimately knew him to be, he was 15% below league average offensively. Now, don't go look at Paul DeYoung's numbers. I was just going to pull this up and say, well, let me let me see. Dansby Swanson hit 27 home runs and 88 RBIs. Addison Russell hit 21 home runs and 95 RBIs. So, yeah, you know what? If they're league average and they're still doing that, I'm going to be fine with Paul DeYoung's numbers. And he's Paul only DeYoung... 74% below league average right now. It's Good fine. If Lord. you flip it. How are you trying to polish this right now, man? Because I don't think he's going to be this bad all year. And if I he can count on that, he did it last year. He wasn't this bad. He was it, it, honestly. Isn't this what we did with Matt Carpenter, though? Like one year it was he won't be this bad for the entire year. And he got a little bit better. And then the next year it was, well, look, he won't be this bad for the entire year. And he, he was. If you go slightly better than what he was last year for Paul DeYoung, if you get a 230 batting average with a 300 on base percentage and he hits 15 to 20 home runs this year and continues to play this level of defense, if the rest of the guys around him in this lineup hit the way that they have been lately and they continue that, I think you can live with it, man. I really do. 
And I think that this team is built around its defense and its pitching, and the defense helps that pitching play better than it actually is, especially with the middle infield that you have right now. Imagine the number of double plays that these two are going to have this season together. It's going to be miraculous to watch. I mean, it's going to be really something special. I, I call BKO over BKO on this one. I, I just, I, I'm not there with Paul DeYoung anymore. I fall into the into the category of what Greg Amzinger was talking about there, and if there's no other options for you, that's what I would take a look at, and I get the whole narrative of, well, defensively, you're taking a step back, and does it make any sense, and you get worse in two areas? I don't think it does. I think Tommy Edmond is going to be just fine at shortstop for you, and I think Nolan Gorman, who has been taking reps the last two seasons as a second baseman in AAA for this team, I don't think it's as bad as people are making it out to be defensively. See, I I don't think it's going to be like, you're not going to have the Phillies defense suddenly. Uh, that that's not going to happen here. I do think you go from being elite defensively in the middle infield to maybe average. But what if your offense takes a, a, a notch forward? It, it could, and it helps. It, absolutely, it could help. We don't know what Nolan Gorman is yet. And if Nolan Gorman comes up here and he lights the world on fire, yeah, you're happy with the trade-off of we decided to go with Gorman and we took a step back defensively, but oh my God, look at this offense right now. You're thrilled with that. The dude is striking out 30-plus percent of the time right now down in AAA. I don't think that just magically Team gets better stat. when he sees a big league pitcher regularly. Like I, I just don't believe that that's going to significantly improve here compared to in Memphis. So you're getting a lot more strikeouts in your lineup from him. Maybe not more than, than DeYoung. It's probably one for one there. Um, <laughs> but you're also taking that step back defensively. So, uh, but I that's what look- we were saying with Juan Yepes, too, though. And look at what he's done. Juan Yepes was striking out a lot in Memphis. No, he wasn't. I'm pretty sure he was, wasn't he? No. Juan Yepes, one of his greatest skills is bat to ball. Like, he, he doesn't really strike out a whole lot. Um, so I, I wasn't worried about him with the strikeout rate. Meanwhile, Nolan Gorman, since day one of his minor league experience, it's always been strikeouts have been the issue for him. So I, I look at what you've got right now, and it, unless you are positive that Nolan Gorman's going to come up here and just rake right away, I would stick with this for a little while, man, I, especially while this offense is hot. I think my, my, my big take here, if you want to call it that, the take Smith of the day. Okay, stop with the nicknames, buddy. Leave those to the pros. I believe that Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, and Yadier Molina hitting is buying Paul DeYoung more time in the lineup because it is less pressure on him to get going offensively. And if a month from now we're still having the same conversation, I'm just going to have to admit my losses. And I think the Cardinals will do the same thing. But right now I don't think they're there yet. I just don't think you can afford to go a month. Yeah, I, I, that's where I, I have not seen any sign of Paul DeYoung looking better than a pitcher at the plate so far this year. Like right now, I feel more comfortable if Man, I gave Adam Wainwright a bat. did you not see that hard hit swing that went foul yesterday? Uh, Matt Carpenter. I don't care if it went foul. I, I've, not seen any, I've not seen any kind of improvement yeah, let from Let me know Paul when it goes DeYoung. fair. I, I just haven't. I mean, it, it's time for the Cardinals to admit that, that Paul DeYoung is done. run the other way? God, it when, so in 2016? No, it was like a third game of the season. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was fun. What happened since? Nothing. Absolutely nothing offensively. It's so frustrating. Whenever whenever Sosa gets off the IL, it is time to put Sosa in at shortstop. If you're not going to buy in, if you don't think Gorman's ready yet, it is time to get, turn the leash over to Sosa because, look, are the numbers going to back that he's – I agree, Paul DeYoung's been good defensively. I don't think you're taking as big a step back with Sosa going at shortstop. It, it's time for them to get production at short. It, it's time to write off the loss that Paul DeYoung is not going to bounce back. Paul he has DeYoung's – 
He has not looked good at the plate this year. And again, I would feel more comfortable with Adam Wainwright batting ninth in the lineup than I do Paul DeYoung at shortstop right now. It's hard to disagree. Um, his expected batting average right now is in the one percentile. Oh, that's good. His expected slugging percentage is better. It's, it is double. It is a, is a, it's in the two percentile. <laughs> that means 99% of Major League Baseball players have a better expected batting average than Paul DeYoung, and 98% of them have a better expected slugging percentage than Paul DeYoung. It ain't been good, man. This this was a successful By the segment way, for you, buddy. What's funny about this, and people don't see this, is Alex is talking about the Gorman experiment, and he's in the light, and then BK's in the dark on my screen on the Zoom because he's talking so great about Paul DeYoung. The dark side, I, BK. So, so that's a BK. You mentioned that well. Mundo Sosa maybe being your starting shortstop. That, that's the thing is I actually tend to agree with you. I think that's – I've gone so many different directions <laughs> Just in this stop with situation. Just stop with this, buddy. I really think that they believe they need to have this infield defense. I, I think Ollie Marmel places a great emphasis on them continuing to have this defense. But you're going to have the defense still. It Maybe it's not elite. You won't with Gorman. You, I, you, you will not have this level of defense with Nolan Gorman at second base. And, and, he was a and, third baseman. Like, why do we think a third baseman cannot transition to second he, base? He was not considered to be a plus defender at third either. That's fine, but sometimes you don't need plus defenders. If they're average, I think that's good enough for you. It can be, but this team was built around its defense. But, like they, but you've spent so much time growing these younger players in the minors because of their offense. Like, that's what we've been preached to. And you have Jeff Albert as the hitting coach, who is slug baby slug. Like, no longer is this the Mike Matheny or the Mike Schilt defense wins us games, I think it's I think a little it is, bit of a mixture of both. See, I, I think it is still the defense wins us games, and I just I continue to be frustrated by the fact that they have a gold glove defender at second base right now who is a perfect leadoff hitter, and we are saying all the time, that's the guy that needs to move. Like I, I just want to leave him there. I just want Tommy Edmond to be the starting se- second baseman and your leadoff hitter, and I figure it out around him. I figure it out around him, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado in the infield, and we can work it around those guys. And I think that means that Nolan Gorman, if he's going to come up, yeah, he's going to play almost every day. And he's going to do it all over the place. He's going to get a day in the outfield. He's going to get a day at DH. He's going to get a day at second base. He's going to get Nolan Gorman or Nolan Arnado, rather, a day off at third base. He can be the guy that moves around. Not my guy that has already proven it at the big league level. All I'm saying is I'm watching Tommy Edmond just slug baby slug with runners in scoring position. And that man, oh, I knew it. I knew it all along. Tommy Edwin was going to be a superstar. BK said, no. No, he will not. Tried to give, he to can't give hit righties. Contract extension last year he can't hit no. righties. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, Joey Vitale will either join us live from his phone or in person. We'll do that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking Blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're out here at Enterprise Center where the Blues had morning skate earlier today. And if you missed it, Craig Berube confirmed 
Nick Letty, Robert Bortuzzo, both out tonight for game number three against the Wild. Marco Scandella, according to Baruby, is a game-time decision. We're going to talk it all over with our friend and the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN and the Blues Radio Network, Joey Vitale, joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Joey, how you doing this morning, man? Joey! 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 Joey. Where are you? Sorry, Minnesota was doing a drill out there, and I was watching it. I got distracted. What's up? What's up, fellas? Hey, I'm doing excellent. How you guys doing today? Oh, we're doing really good, Joey. Uh, I, I would be doing better. I'm going to be totally honest with you. If the Blues had a healthy blue line yeah, going into this, Joey's one. already mailing it in. No, that's not true. That is not true at all. I'm a little worried though, Joey. Uh, give me some optimism. Why should I feel optimistic about the Blues' defense going into tonight's game? Well. Let's think about this for a second. I, you know, I think the biggest thing, uh, let's first talk about, you know, what what the issues are going to be. You know, I think Marco Scandella truly is a game-time decision. If they get him back, that could be a, that could be a big plus. You know, um, I know I know missing Letty and Bortuzzo, th- th- it's big. Listen, you're, you're talking about maybe one of your best penalty killers in Robert Bortuzzo. I thought he was in the shadow of Kaprizov in game one pretty well, and certainly there in game two before he got dinged up. So that, that could be an issue as far as the kills concerned. You know, Nick Letty's a player who, if you look back over his entire career, he hasn't he hasn't uh, subbed out of a lot of hockey. He hasn't missed a lot because of injury. He, he's typically a guy that goes the distance. He's a marathon guy. He's a dependable guy. He shows up. So I know he's struggling right now. I think he's really struggling being out, and not to mention with an injury like a concussion or, or an upper body injury, what they're calling it. But to me, it's, it's pretty clear it's, he's dealing with something in the head because of the hit. This is a tough thing for him to kind of be going through and witnessing from the outside. Now, the good news is, I think, you know, for Blues fans, is that although you have, you know, maybe a little bit lack of experience bottom pair, let's keep it that way, with Callie Rosen and, of course, Santini, if that's the way they go tonight with with, uh, Marco Scandella being out, uh, the good news is with you playing every other night, I think it's safe to say that those top four are going to log some massive, massive, massive minutes. So that, to me, is something where I know you're not going to be able to use six completely well. you still got Colton Pareko. you still got Justin Falls. you still got Tory Krug, um, three of if the best defenders, I think, in this series, um, aside from probably you know Spurgeon and Dumba, maybe a little bit here and there. But I think that they've stood out to be the best three defenders in my mind. So you still have three of the best you know, four in the top four there. And I think that Nico Mikula is going to have a response game. You know, I think he got dinged pretty hard in that game too. You know, not a lot of playoff experience for him. He's dealing with the top end guys. Uh, Craig Brewery, Mike Van Ryan are going to get some favorable matchups tonight, being on home ice. And I think one thing Nico Mikula has done very well is he has responded and he has had really good bounce back games. So to me, with those top four, with that bottom pair subbing in just every now and then, I think that this defensive group should be okay. Joe, when you played with the Penguins, I, if I remember correctly, that was a team that, that used to drive a lot of their offense from the physicality. Like the Chris Kunitz would forecheck really hard. You've talked about guys like Aaron Asham on the fourth line, Paul Bissonette, yourself. Like It's a team that drives a lot of energy from their physicality, and we're seeing Minnesota do that. How do you combat that if you're St. Louis? Well, the first thing you got to do is I think you gotta, you got to punch back. And I think that this is something that maybe the Blues haven't done um, as well as Minnesota has in this series. And I'm talking bringing that just sheer physicality, running through the wall, snarl, just kind of the heck with you style of hockey, right? This is something the St. Louis Blues um, 
what they've done very well this season is is puck possession, attack off rush, score a lot of goals. And and they can do that, but playoffs are a different beast. And it's not that they, they weren't aware of this. You know, Craig Bruby weeks ago was talking about how they need to start increasing the physicality, playoff hockey, you gotta bring it. And I think that Minnesota's had the edge over St. Louis. And we're starting to see that with the bodies that are gonna be missing in tonight's game, starting with Nick Letty and Robert Bortuzzo. There's a couple of forwards on, uh, on this team, by the way, that are really dinged up as well. So in order to kind of combat that, I would say that you've got to start bringing your end of it. You know, and this is the number one reason why I think that Dakota Joshua was drawn into the lineup here tonight. You know, Nathan Walker, of course, you know, a little bit undersized for the National Hockey League, especially going up against the Greenways and the Erickson X, and, of course, the Polinos. Uh, they, they want Dakota Joshua in there, and to me, that's going to be the answer to bring the energy and to bring that physicality. This fourth line, they're not going to be getting a ton of minutes. They haven't really been noticed a lot in the first couple of games. I think this on home ice, if you're going to get a matchup that you like, maybe you get an offensive zone, this fourth line's got to be the engine tonight. they got to be the ones running and gunning. they got to target Spurgeon. they got to go after Foligno. they, they got to be the ones that are starting to bring that jam. And maybe you start subbing out some of the Minnesota players. Maybe some of them start getting dinged up. Maybe defense on the back end like Brodeen has to miss the game tonight because this fourth line of Joshua and Torpchenko and Bozak, they're just running and gunning, and they're going, and they're just taking a body. You know, this, this series is evolving in my mind after hearing some of the players talk in the hallway this morning. This series is evolving into like a bully versus bully matchup. You know, every series has a different identity. You know, I think that this, this series reminds me a lot of the Winnipeg series back in 19, where it was kind of like that bully versus bully. It was a lot of emotional. It was Shifley versus Bennington, Bennington versus the coach. I mean, it was just uh, Craig Bruby yelling at the players. I mean, it was a lot of emotion, right, in that series. And it was kind of that bully versus bully. I think as the playoffs uh, evolved that series, I look at that Boston series as more of a gentleman series. There was just a lot of intelligence, a lot of experience. It was almost like a chess match. Th- this series, I wasn't sure how it was going to start, but I-, I know by game three I can confidently say this is, a, this is a, a bully series. I mean, I'm talking to some of the players. There's emotion. There's raw emotion. They want to get after these guys. They want to catch guys with their head down. They want to smash. They want to retaliate in, in, in the most intelligent way. But this is going to be um, an impactful game here tonight. I think it could be a very swinging game here. I think that obviously whoever wins this game is going to take a, a kind of a, a good hold of the series. But not only from being up two to one, but I think to just kind of having that, kind of having that power over their opponent. That's why I think the physicality in tonight's game is going to be extremely important. And that to me is where Dakota Joshua and players like Torpchenko really have to bring it. And apparently Pavel Buchnevich as well, who said earlier today, quote, I like getting hit. I like the emotion of playoff hockey. Quote, we can crush you, end quote. So I enjoyed hearing that from him as well. Uh, Joey, final question that I've got for you. We'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, the Blues have the decision tonight to be able to dictate the terms in terms of the, the matchups that they're looking for. How do you expect Craig Berube to go with those matchups? Who do you think he's going to put up against that grief line? And then who do you think he's going to be looking uh, to get going offensively tonight as well? You know, to me, I, I really kind of think that he's going to, you know, the obvious one is to free up the Thomas line. You know, they finally started coming around in that second game. They got that great, you know, put the power play goal aside. I mean, it's not really, it doesn't really count in my mind. It really was that. It was the uh, rush chance that went from Thomas to Torpchenko to, to, to uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. That, that was that spark. Okay, here it is again. Okay, it's been gone for about a game, game and a half, but there it is. We know what it looks like. It's back in the series. Okay, we, we haven't lost this line completely. So that, to me, is a good spark. And I think now that it transitions back home, you have to free this line up. This is the most important line tonight. The Thomas, 
Tarasenko, Bouchard, they got to get up and running. They got to get that offensive zone game going. They got to make plays even quicker than usual because time and space in the series is really starting to evaporate very quickly. I think Thomas is starting to learn that, and he's been making better plays since then. He's evolving. This is what's so good about his game is he's so smart, and he will continue to evolve in that way. So that's the line to keep an eye on. I think Craig Burby is going to hide them. They're going to get him away from that grief line, that Erickson Exelino, and, of course, uh, the Greenway line. You know, I think that they kind of want to keep the O'Reilly and Perron line free as well. I think they want to kind of keep them away from as well. Look for this weird matchup tonight. I, I'm telling you, I like I like Braden Shen's group against Eric Sinek. I think that that could be an interesting line for Craig Berube because you got Braden Shen, who although a third-line center, is so good in the defensive zone. He's so smart. He's so just intellectual about what a series needs, what a game needs. He's going to be very good about the defensive side. Ivan Barbashev is still one of the best 200-foot player wingers on this team. So I think if you put Barbashev out there, who is such a dependable go-to guy, with Shen, uh, that, that to me is two guys that understand that this is the line we have to take care of. And then, of course, the wild card is going to be Jordan Cairo. You know, maybe it, get, it gets spread out a little bit. Maybe you see um, Assad bounce down that line. But to me, I think that this is where the series is going. I think at home ice, it's going to be the Shen line that is going to be your match line. I think they're going to start evolving to be that defensively structured line because you got the two guys with Barbashev and Shen. And then, of course, if you can get Jordan Cairo to really buy into the defensive side of things, I think that that's where it could be, get really interesting. Again, I know it's kind of a, um, a wild assumption, especially because Cairo, maybe his defensive game hasn't been there all that often. But I think if, if he can show that he has that, um, I like that matchup with the Erickson Eck line because that frees up the O'Reilly line and, of course, uh, the Robert Thomas line. Uh, but like I said before, this is this series can turn for the Blues' favor in a hurry if the Thomas line gets going, and I think they really can. I think that they started to see a little bit of success during that second period, um, but they're going to have to find it in different ways. You know, at the end of the regular season, those last 20 games, they were having success where off the rush, um, coming over the blue line, pulling up, making plays, like we saw in game two, but it only happened once. This series is going to be more of an offensive zone. If you want chances, it's got to be from the corners. It's going to be from the O zone. It's going to be kind of getting to the front of the net. And whoever wins that net front battle is obviously going to be the team that that continues to prevail in this series. Joe, it's interesting what you say about that Shin Barbie line going up against the grief line. That's the same thing. We talked to Rick Tockett yesterday, and he mentioned the same thing. He even said, just a quick follow-up, that Jordan Cairo, he wouldn't be stunned if you see him uh, bump up to that O'Reilly line potentially, kind of like what you said. But he, he brought up David Perron maybe bumping down to Shin and Barbie's line. Could you see something like that and taking Perron off of O'Reilly's line for that defensive matchup of Shin, Barbie, and Perron against the grief line? You know what? I, I, I actually can't, you know, for, you know, I, I understand where talk is coming from there. I, I think what he's looking to do is bring a veteran down to the Shen line. Yeah. And, I, and I totally understand what he's saying there. I just don't know if it's Perron to me. It's to me, it'd, it'd be Assad. And listen, Jordan Kyrou's played with O'Reilly and Perron um, at Spurs throughout this year. And they've had, had success at Spurs throughout this year, especially when now that Kyrou's going, I, I thought he was one of the best blues forwards in game two, even before he scored that powerful goal. You saw his confidence. You saw him. Uh, he started moving better with the puck. He started getting more creative. He started being really assertive with the puck. He wasn't second guessing. He wasn't turning the pucks over. So now that you got Kyra going in a good direction, maybe maybe that confident nature kind of gets him going where he could be where he could be on that top line with you know obviously David Prawn and then Ryan O'Reilly. From there, it continues to build. Where then you can maybe bump Sod down. I, I just. I say that because I just think that this line needs what the grief line is for Minnesota, what the Barbashev, Sunquist, and Steen was for this team back in 19. I don't know if we have it yet. Um, we don't have the identity of that group yet, and I think Shen's the centerman for it, and I know that Barbashev is so dependable. Him, him and Oscar Sunquist to me were always those two guys that Craig Burby loved. 
So you got those two already. Maybe maybe you bump, you bump down a Brandon side. You have a conversation with them, and you say, hey, man, this is what we need. This is the identity we need in the third line. You guys are going to be what the grief line is for Minnesota, and, and you can find very valuable minutes within that kind of nature. So I think that that's where this series is going. I just don't know when. It could start as early as tonight, but it could happen maybe a little bit later. Interesting. He's Joey Vitale. You'll hear him on the call tonight for Blues versus Wild. Game number three here in St. Louis. Pre-game coverage with Alex is starting at 6 o'clock. Take you all the way up until 8.30 when you got the puck drop with Joey and Curbs right here on 101 ESPN. Joey, always appreciate the time, man. Great breakdown today. We'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, boys. You guys have a great day. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. Man, that's a really interesting idea. Um, I actually like that better than bumping David Perron down. My big question with the Perron thing is, are, are you really going to break up that chemistry? Because him and O'Reilly have, uh, over the last really 30 games or so, it seems like they're both back to where they where you wanted them to be coming into the season. I don't want to break that up just for the right to be able to use Perron as a physical presence against that grief line. I think sending Saad down to that line with Shin and Barbashev makes a lot more sense if you think Kairou can be on that offhand of being on the left wing. Yeah, well, and you don't need the physicality from all three guys on that line. You just need two. Like, a great yep. example is going back to 19 with the Pat Maroon, Robert Thomas, and Tyler Bozak line. That had one guy who was a physical presence and then had two guys that created space with their offense, and that's what I think you can get. Frankly, I mean, Shen's been given an all-nine, and Joe said something in there that I found really interesting. He said, look, some of the forwards are dinged up as well for the Blues, and he's not wrong. That hit that Braden Shen took along the boards in Game 2, he didn't look right afterwards, although he's fine. He was skating late earlier today. You need more from Ivan Barbashev. That's the biggest one for me, and I think Barbashev knows that. If you can just get Ivan Barbashev to have a little bit more physical prowess out there, I love the idea of matching Shen's lineup against the Felino line. Oh. Because I think they can give them fit. Sorry, BK. And then that opens up the Thomas and the O'Reilly line that you can do damage with, and you're not as worried defensively with Jordan Cairo. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live out here today at Enterprise Center, where Game 3 will be played tonight. 8.30 buck drop for that one, as I mentioned. Alex has your pregame coverage starting at 6 o'clock. In about 10 minutes or so, which of these Cardinal starters is going to finish the season with the best ERA? We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour, but the junk drawer is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Have you guys are you guys alien people? Whoa. You, you think aliens exist out there? I thought you were going to ask me if I was an alien. Uh, yeah, I think aliens exist. I think there's a lot of things that we don't know that Tanner, exist. Tanner, do you believe there's life beyond us? I do. I think there is life beyond us. I've always been a believer. I, I've always felt like, you know, who am I to say there's nothing bigger than us out there somewhere, you well, know? You, so you I'm, you I'm believe, a believer. You believe in the impossible, like Paul DeYoung get this game back. Yeah, that's true. Touche, sir. I mean, Touché. some would say I'm an alien. Um, I bring this up because apparently, according to a new study, there are some that are suggesting if we send naked pictures of humans oh, to space. I saw this. We could potentially make contact a little easier with the aliens. Jamie Rivers is down here at uh, Enterprise Center. He's 
He's interested. He's willing to be a participant <laughs> if need be. Jamie will send pictures if need be. This is not the first time that naked depictions of humans have been sent into space. Alex, you may be wondering, when was the last time that this happened, yes. BK? It's BK, a fair I'm and reasonable question. When was the last time this was done? <laughs> the Pioneer Black sent to space on the 1972 Pioneer 10 and 1973 Pioneer 11 missions also featured illustrations of a stripped-down man and a woman. Illustrations. So these are like, these aren't pictures. These are like drawings. Here's what it looks like right here, Alex, if you'd like to have a better oh description. Boy. boy, that guy is... That reminds me of like sixth grade. <laughs> yeah. When you took the sex ed class, this is the picture that they showed it's you. It's like a Ken doll. It looks like something you would see like if Pong was made into like human form. If Pong this was This is gone. what I would assume. What? What did you just said say? If Pong was that's what that yeah. is. That's what that's that's the drawing that, that that's actually a great nickname for the art. Logic suggests a species which has reached sufficient complexity to achieve communication through the cosmos would also very likely have attained high levels of cooperation amongst themselves and thus would know the importance of peace and collaboration, said the team at NASA. So we're just hoping that they'll they'll get the nude pictures and they'll give us peace. And cooperate. I mean, it's an interesting tactic. I mean, why not? I mean, people down here are sending nudes all over the place. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. N nudes work down here, so why not I up mean, there? I don't advise it. Don't however. be Brett Favre. Don't be Brett Favre in it. Oh, he was just trying to show off his Crocs. It's true. And, like, are we are we I, acting like Brett, Hall, BK, Brett Favre didn't have a good... Was that a Freudian yeah, slip? Yeah, that was a Freudian <laughs> slip there. That didn't mean I, to I happen. I said Crocs. I, yeah. I heard what you mm, said. Yes. I said Pong. He also said Dong. Well, yeah, yeah that's fine. Yeah. It's, it's anatomy. I just, I would Sound love to know <laughs> when you were, imagine how smart you have to be to be in these, uh, Church bells. in these uh, conversations at NASA, the highest of levels, right? You probably have a doctorate in some sort of a space engineering program or something. Somebody raises their hand and says, guys, got an idea. I think I know how we, I think I know how we can have Guys, I got it. some communication with the aliens. And so everybody else is like, all right, all right, yeah, yeah, he's, he came up with the idea that saved us a billion dollars on, on gasoline to send a spaceship to, to space. So yeah, maybe he's got something here. So here's it. Here's the idea. Billy over here is going to send a picture of Scratch. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to do it. And everybody in the room apparently said, yeah, yeah, this makes sense. That's I the biggest concern right. I have is that the panel was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> this, this is a great idea. This is what we're going with for sure. <laughs> I I am amazed that th this is what we've come up with. Like how we, no have, we have run out of ideas. Like how we, nobody. We don't have any ideas for movies anymore. <laughs> Everything's a sequel. That's true. And now or a like, remake. 50 years ago, we sent nudes. Let's do it again. This is a great run plot for a, a Fast and the Furious 9. <laughs> like, Vin Diesel drives nudes to space to aliens. Based on the playoffs here right now down at Enterprise Center in the Blues, do we change the slogan for NASA to, We Went Nudes? No? Is that too much? Alongside Alex Ferrario. <laughs> that was Jamie fantastic. Jamie Rivers, the former St. <laughs> Louis Blues superstar defenseman. I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. We are live out here at Enterprise Center ahead of game three between the Blues and the Wild. I'm back, guys. I I'm back on board. Jamie got me optimistic again. I'm feeling good about the Blues. Going we legitimately just game. said the same thing to you. Nope. Jamie's a former superstar defenseman. He it held a little bit more weight when he That's says true. it. That's true. I agree. Coming up next here on BK and Ferrario. Which of these Cardinals starters is going to finish the season with the best ERA? And what does it mean that we can ask that question today? And we're kind of wondering which one it's going to be. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario, who's currently talking to Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie Tanner Hendrickson back in the studio for us in Creve Corps. I am out here at Enterprise Center where the Blues are preparing for game number three with the Wild later on this evening. Alex, will have your pregame coverage starting at 6 o'clock. Puck drop right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN at 8.30. Alex, I wanted to talk about the Cardinals pitching because right now, or last night, I was going through perusing Twitter. And a gentleman that goes by Spittin' Facts STL. Is that a burner account that you have? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, tweeted <laughs> this out. This just sounds like a BK burner <laughs> account that you're just trying to pump up a little His bit. His name is Cardinal Stats and Facts, so it would make a lot of sense if it was me that was <laughs> running this so account. BK. I can confirm it's not, but it would definitely make sense if it was. He asked which Cardinal starter is going to finish the year with the lowest ERA. He gave the options of Michaelis, Wayno, Hudson, Matz. Michaelis is just running away with this, as you would expect, given his start to the season. But I sat back and I thought to myself, man, I, I think I would probably go Michaelis. I tend to agree with the general consensus. I mean, he's he's allowed, what, like seven runs so far this year in his first 35 innings? He's, he's been outstanding. Um, but the fact that I even have to think about it, tells you a lot about where this Cardinals pitching staff is right now. Like, I think there is a case to be made at a minimum that Adam Wainwright could definitely finish the year with the best ERA among these starters. I wouldn't be totally stunned if it's Steven Matz who ends the year with the best ERA. The only guy that I have a tough time making a case for is Don't actually say it. Uh, Alex's guy, Dakota Hudson. Oh, yeah, he's the only guy, not not the other starter in the rotation, the Jordan Hicks. You're, you're, you're totally comfortable with saying he might finish with the better ERA. No, he wasn't one of the four options. Oh, <laughs> um, come on. But I think one of those three, Michaelis, Wayno, Matt, you could make a case for any of them, and I could at least listen to it. I might disagree, but you could make a strong argument as to why you're backing that guy. I think it speaks to where this rotation is right now, and I know coming into the year, it was the single biggest question most people had about the Cardinals. Guys, I don't have a ton of questions about this rotation right now with the way that they've performed thus far. Uh, I don't either, and not to steal his thunder because I know he's going to pick this guy because he was a, a piece of the T-Bone 3. But yeah, he was. If, if there was one guy that I would put my money on, it would be Miles Michaelis. And Wayno's up there as well, but Wayno, it's just you just never know. It's kind of like that magic eight ball. You rub it and you're not sure what's going to come out. Steven Matz I'm not comfortable with just because he pitches to contact. It's the same as Dakota Hudson. I mean, I wouldn't pick Dakota Hudson in this category as much as I love Dakota Hudson, but you're pitching to contact. And that's why for Miles Michaelis, it seems he's added something to his arsenal. We're seeing strikeouts from Miles Michaelis. We're seeing that that um, that that massive movement on his pitches that he's able to get guys off kilter with. And that just hasn't been there with Miles Michaelis before. Like in 2018, when he had that Cy Young run, he was a guy who was pitching to contact like Dakota Hudson. He was just pitching to contact with with really good defense behind him. So if I were to pick one, I, I got to back the T-bone horse here and say Miles Michaelis would be the one. Yeah, Miles Michaelis definitely is the one for me, just because I, I really like what you've seen from him. I mean, last night he said after his start, he goes, yeah, I didn't have my best stuff. And I look at his outing and I go, 
he looked pretty good still, even without your <laughs> yeah. best stuff. But he, he's got command of his fastball. And really the thing for me is it's his sliders. He's really tightened up the slider, and he's able to run it in on hitters. And he's using that as the strikeout pitch, too. He's also using a curveball very effectively. I mean, I mentioned it, I think it was yesterday. I mean, he's basically throwing the kitchen sink in just about every start, and he's getting hitters off balance. So if I had to choose one, I think it would be him, just because of what I've seen from him so far with his fastball and his slider and the way he's able to use the off-speed pitch as well. I think Wayne you could also argue the problem with for me for Wayno is he doesn't really he's got the curveball but hit, hitters are expecting that he doesn't have that pitch he can run in on lefties and run away from righties as much because he's got a cutter and then he's got the curveball with Michaelis you've got the slider the curveball the fastball he's just got the whole arsenal and he's got everything working right now and he looks back to 2018 for Miles Michaelis so I think I would have to say Miles Michaelis I think you can even argue better than what he was in 20, uh, 2018. Oh, I agree. And, I, and I'm not saying the results are going to be better. He ended up in top five in the Cy Young voting that year. He was excellent. And so the, the, the results might not quite be at that same level. <laughs> so far, it looks like it could be, though. Definitely. But his stuff might even be better than it was then. And I think some of what his success was in 2018 was the fact that hitters just hadn't seen him in a couple of years because he had gone overseas and refined his craft. And now people know what to expect when he's going out there. He's just better than them with what his stuff, the way that it's playing up. The reason why I know that I'm confident in the Cardinals pitching right now, Alex, is because yesterday MLB Trade Rumors put out their 18 potential starting pitching uh, trade targets this summer. I didn't click it. I didn't feel like I needed to because we're not going to use that for a segment because I don't think the Cardinals are looking for pitching. And in knock on wood, like that could change depending on what the injuries are that take place. And there's always injuries in your rotation that you're going to have to deal with. But even when you look down to AAA right now, I know Tanner bugs us every day. Hey, when are we going to talk about Matthew Liberatore? When are we going to talk about Zach Thompson or his guy, Connor Thomas? Jake Walsh is now on their uh, Is that the guy you tried squad. to put in our circle of trust last night? I tried. You guys, yeah. didn't, you guys didn't buy it. Yikes. But um, you look down in, in the minor leagues right now, they've got starters down there that are performing at a really high level as well. I mean, I think today they've got Johan Oviedo and Matthew Liberatore starting in a doubleheader at AAA it wouldn't have been a surprise to anybody if they needed to go to one, if not both of those guys at some point this year. Now it's a luxury that you have them down in AAA. Like you can pull from that depth and it's like, okay, I feel pretty good about this. If they needed a spot start and they brought Matthew Libertor up for that, I would think he would do a pretty good job. If they needed to go to Jake Woodford for a spot start, I would think they would be probably pretty fine there. They've still got Jack Flaherty, who, in the words of Anthony Stalter, I know he always says this on the fast lane, that's as good as getting a trade at the trade deadline Amen. for an ace. You know, I mean, what more could you ask for Amen. there, really? So I, I feel really good about the pitching staff right now. That could change on a dime. But, man, these guys are pitching really well, and I thought this was going to be the problem for the team. Yeah, I, I I didn't think it was going to be a problem because I thought it was going to be better than what it was last year. We're talking pitching still, right? The rotation? I thought it was going to be better than what it was last year because I didn't expect... Oh, low bar. <laughs> well, yeah. that's the thing, though, but I, I didn't expect to have three guys go down before opening day. Sure. Uh, Jack Flaherty had dealt with it, so I assumed he was going to be fine. Miles Michaelis, I assumed, was going to be better than what he was, and I thought you'd have Dakota Hudson back, and you added Steven Matz, like... Yeah, it was a, as BK likes to call it, a, a cool move by the Cardinals to sign him, but it was better than what the other options were. So I didn't think it was going to be as bad as last year, but I still had question marks going into it, and that those have been wiped away. I'm with you. I don't think I'm going into the trade deadline and sitting here and saying they have to go find themselves another starting pitcher. Frankly, at this point, the only position I'm talking about for the trade deadline is finding a way to fix shortstop. Yeah. 
this, this rotation. I know it, you disagree with that. It, it's not one. It's not one for one, and I don't think this defense. rotation is going to be as good as this rotation I'm about to bring up. But it gives me a lot. It reminds me kind of the 2015 rotation when they had like oh. a really good. And the reason I and the reason I say oh, it's it historic. Not, I'm not comparing it. I'm not comparing it to that one in terms of just look at the numbers are going to be that way. Sounds it's like because it. I feel confident in all five guys that are going to be in the rotation, and that's what you felt in 2015. I don't think you've really felt that. Since that 2015 run, I mean, all five guys I feel confident in, and even the guys that would, could make spot starts. Like you look at that 2015 team, you had uh, Tyler Lyons making spot starts. You have those guys oh right now as well. You've got Jake Woodford, the Libertors, and the Thompsons. That's why I'm saying it's not a one-for-one comparison. I don't think this rotation is going to be as good as 2015. But I, I this is probably the first time I've had confidence in all five starters and the depth that the Cardinals actually have since 2015. I know that we were sold on it last year of them having this rotation and all this depth, but they just weren't healthy and the depth wasn't ready yet. Now this rotation is as deep as one through five, and even deeper than that. They have probably seven to eight solid starters on this team and on this you, roster. You heard it here first, BK. T-Bone thinks that the Cardinals pitching is going to be the best the Cardinals have ever had. Uh, better than 2015, that's for sure. Uh, the one other Market. thing that I did want to bring up here is Market. the way that Ollie Marmel has been handling his pitching staff whenever he's going in there late in games, and I said he's going in there late in games because that's the way he's handling it sometimes, Alex. He will go to the mound. Last night he did this with Miles Michaelis. Have a conversation. Make sure everybody's on the same page. And then there are times where he leaves the guy in. Now, nowadays, this is not what you expect to see. If they're going to leave the pitcher and you see the pitching coach that comes out to the mound, if they're going to take him out, that's when the manager comes to the mound. Marmol's kind of gone the old school route of, I want to talk to the pitcher to make sure that I trust that they're going to be able to get out of this. And last night was the second time, I think in the last week, that he's done it. He did it with Miles Michaelis. He explained that yesterday, what his conversation was like with Miles Michaelis. Here's what he said he's doing when he goes out to the mound. Um, I wanted to get a read with Yad and, uh, and Miles. Um, I like the Palante matchup with the left-hander, and I didn't mind the Estrada Miles one, uh, so went out there and make sure I was reading it correctly. He still had a little bit in him, and uh, unfortunately walked him. We went to Palante, but uh, I like the Palante lefty matchup there. So, I will say this for what it's worth. I told you guys this during our text chain, so this was not a I, I gotcha moment. I would have probably gone to Palante against Gonzalez. I liked the lefty matchup there for Palante. He's got really good splits against lefties so far this season. Righties have actually gotten to him a little bit. Um, I would have gone to him there. Uh, Michaelis looked like he was losing it a little bit. He was getting hit harder in the last inning or so. But I kind of like the way that all he's handling this. Hasn't always worked for him. Last night he got burned by it a little bit. But they didn't end up scoring there, so it didn't get it didn't burn him too bad. I kind of like the idea of him going out to the mound to find out where his pitcher's at and to really kind of check with them, especially with Yachty, to find out, okay, are, are you actually going to be able to get out of this, or is this a situation where we need to go to the pin here? Tanner, what do you think about the win when Ollie goes out there? I, I love the fact that he goes out there because it's kind of a, if you want to call it kind of an old school thing, you'd see TLR do it every now and then because I, I like the fact that he's going out there to see what Yadier Molina says he's seeing from Miles Michaelis, get a second opinion on him. I'm sure he's talking to Skip Schumacher on the bench and Mike Maddox, but I like the fact that he goes out there, gets a feel for his pitcher, and then decides whether or not if he has the game plan that he feels confident in to stick with him on the mound. I, I love the fact that Ali Marmol goes out there because – 
I, I think it also sends a positive message to your pitching staff, willing to allow them to try and work their way out of a jam like that, uh, kind of like what he did with Steven Matz when he went to him and he decided to stick with him. And I think Matz may have even gone out for another inning, if I'm not mistaken. I, I love the fact that Ollie does that, not just him going out there and immediately pulling the guy. I like that he's willing to have a conversation with his starting pitcher and potentially let him go deeper if he has a game plan that he feels confident in. I like it, but I think it could be a problem as well. And I guess, you know, you don't worry about it until it actually is a problem. But yeah, I don't want I don't want him going out there if it if it's obvious that this guy has lost his stuff and have two guys on and two outs and think, okay, we'll just go one more pitcher and then we've got somebody ready to come up here. So you might have to be abrasive at some point where you walk out there and you say, like, look, you just don't have your stuff and, and the pitcher says, No, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And the next thing you know, a three run bomb takes place. We saw it happen earlier this season with Miles Michael. And Marmol said, like, you know what, I should have taken him out of there. So I like the fact that he goes out there. And, look, Yachty was was behind the plate, and Yachty's got a great feel for it. And I imagine that that pitch for or that batter by Miles Michaelis was, okay, pitch this guy outside, though. We're going to try and get him to swing. But if it's not there, throw him balls, walk him, and we'll get out of this inning. But I just don't want it to become a problem and hurt the Cardinals. Yeah, I tend to be with you on that one. The other thing about this is I do wonder if they were still limited with what they had available coming out of their pen last night. Uh, He tried to go deeper in that game, and then you ended up getting a couple of innings there out of Palante as well. I wonder if that's something where they they didn't feel like they had enough available to really push it with their bullpen. So I I think that might have been something that influenced that decision as well. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. But next, are we going to see the Blues make some adjustments to their lines tonight? We know the fourth line's going to look a little different with Dakota Joshua out there. Rick Tockett made an interesting proposal yesterday that we're going to react to on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live from Enterprise Center, where tonight you will see game three between the Blues and the Wild. Alex has your pregame coverage starting at 6 o'clock. The fast lane's going to be here. We've already got BT and Jamie out here. They're going to be live from 2 to 6. Puck drop coming up at 8.30, a late one tonight. Alex, yesterday we talked to Rick Tockett, former NHL head coach. Now he's on the TNT pre-post and intermission coverage for these games. And we asked him how he would handle the matchups whenever the Blues get back home here and they can determine who's going up against who. Here's what he said about what he would do and a potential change he would make to the lineup for the Blues. Who do you want them to play against that big line, the, the, the physical line, you know, the Felino line? I think it's a key. You know, maybe that Barbashev, you know, you, you put a line together with him. You maybe, maybe, maybe you switch uh, Perron and Cairo, like you switch them. I don't think Craig Ruby's scared to, to switch a player here and there uh, after last, last night's loss. Um, I could see maybe Perron going down to that line and maybe playing against with Shen against um, uh, the Folino line, and then maybe you have O'Reilly against Kiprasoff. I think those are the sort of things, and hopefully you get the right defensive pair against those guys. So uh, Craig Rue, that's one thing I've really liked. He's not afraid to make changes, and he's really good at adjusting. So uh, I, I do find that interesting, um, 
from Rick Tockett because I I can see a circumstance Did where you look at Justin. What's going on out no, here? Look, man, you gotta you gotta <laughs> test things before you're going to use them, and they're gonna abuse that horn tonight for how many goals the Blues scored. So you gotta make sure it's working. I don't know if that was the goal horn. That was exactly the goal horn. Have you ever been to a Blues game, BK? Near St. Louis, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I know. It's not the goal horn? No, goal that was horn. the end of the period horn. It's the same thing, right? No, it's no. not. Come on, Jamie. Jamie, it's a goal horn, probably. Hockey guy BK will keep you on the rails, Alex. Okay. Uh, Rick Tockett, though, he's got some ideas on the matchups. <laughs> what did you think about his opinion on that? I, I liked it, and, and you know, I... I I don't know if you switch David Perron down to that line because you're going to break up the chemistry with Ryan O'Reilly like Joey told us a little bit ago, but I can see a stance where they do that because David Perron, he brings a little bit more physicality than Brandon Saad, and if you are going to go toe-to-toe with some physical play on physical play, Braden Shen, Ivan Barbashev, and David Perron makes a lot of sense. And remember, I forgot which game that was where Perron was out, but Jordan Kairou shifted up to playing with Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad. I believe that was that Anaheim Ducks game, if I'm not mistaken, but Kairou had a good game play playing with those two. So I, I don't know if you're going to do something that drastic because you are breaking up some chemistry, but even if they sh- shift sod down to that line, I think you can look at that and say, okay, we need you to go toe to toe. And that does open up a lot of things because one, you're keeping the energy away from that line because that is their energy line. That's their Sunquist Barbashev steam line. Yeah. When they use Felino Greenway and Erickson Eck, they got offense too. Obviously Erickson Eck nearly had a hat trick, but you open up Thomas's line to play against possibly a mismatch for the Fiala line and then Ryan O'Reilly's line gets Caprice off as well. Either way, you got to find a way to shut down that line because that is their energy line and you can't let them run around and hit everything in sight. So I think there's two lines that you like going into this game, Craig Berube has two lines circled. It's the Caprice off line and really you're just circling that player. And then it's the the grief line as they like to call it up in Minnesota. Well, you like to call it. And you've got to determine, okay, what is our best way to shut down Caprice off? Who is the line that gives us the best opportunity to do that? Alex, who would you say for the Blues that is? To shut down the Caprice off yeah. line? Ryan O'Reilly's line. And then who is the best one that you're willing to give up against that grief line who they give basically zero off? Braden Shen's line. Because then my best line, the line that was the best in the National Hockey League for the month of April, is Thomas Tarasenko and Buchnevich. That's the Occam's Razor matchups, in my opinion. God, if you're bl- looking God bless for you. What you say? The, the, the simplest answer is typically the best answer. I think what you see tonight is they do not make these flips. They start out with O'Reilly, Perron, and Saad going up against that Kaprizov line. I'm going to shut them down. You are not scoring on us. And I know that line's going to be able to do that. And then you go up against that Greenway, Erickson, Eck, and Felino line. And I think that that's probably the one that you get from Shin, Barbie, and Cairo. And then you take your chances with your best line winning this series for you. You say, at home, Booch, Thomas, Tarasenko, you're the guys that have to carry us on your back. And we're going to have to score three or four goals tonight. And that means probably two or three coming from that line. So that that's the way that I would probably say you see it go early on tonight. But, man, that's, to me, once you get into the playoffs, this is what makes it so much fun is that you can find out how it, it does become more of a chess match. And I know Joey said earlier today, this is bully on bully. That's what this series is. He's it reminds him of the Jet series. And I, 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 I totally agree with that. That being said, I also think there's some brains that are going to match up as well. I think coaching is going to make a huge difference in this one. And you're going to need those forwards to be able to help you defensively tonight to be able to cover for some of what you're lacking when it comes to the personnel on the blue line. you got to be responsible in your own zone. Ivan Barbashev even said it. We played it earlier. You can't be turning the pucks over in our own zone. Because as soon as you do that, 
then Minnesota is going to feed off of that. That's going to be the momentum. I, I've, we've said it before. I truly believe the first goal is always the most important goal because you immediately put the momentum on your side. Minnesota. We've seen that already in the series. Exactly. Their sole focus is going to be to suck the life out of this building. And if the Blues can find a way to get on the board first, you've already pinned Minnesota back against the wall. And that's really going to come down to the Blues making sure that they're back-checking, making sure that there's no guys that are that are lagging behind on a rush up the ice that get a, a errant pass off of Billy Husso's pads. But you also need to make sure that we're not seeing Terry Sanko pass the puck in front of your own net and the defenseman not being ready for it. It's got to be communication, especially if you have guys that are playing in uncomfortable situations like Santini, Rosen, and Mikola. There has to be the utmost communication from all five guys on that. Six guys, heck, because Husso is going to be the one that's going to be needing to communicate as well. If you missed the news from earlier today, Craig Berube announced that Nick Letty and Robert Bortuzzo both out tonight against Minnesota. Marco Scandella is going to be a game-time decision he was skating earlier today out here at Enterprise with the extra, so I would assume he's probably not going to play, but as of now, the expectation is it'll be Mikula up there on that top pairing with Pareko, Krug with Falk, and Rosen will be skating with Santini. The other lineup change for the Blues tonight is that Dakota Joshua back there in the fourth line with Bozak and Toropchenko. Joshua replacing Nathan Walker on that fourth line for the game tonight. And according to Michael Russo, by the way, no lineup changes are expected for the Wild. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll get to the rewind coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, let's play a game of One's Gotta Go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's gotta go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live from Enterprise Center. Coming up here in about 10 minutes or so, we'll give you your opportunity to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Cardinals Budweiser Bash. But right now it is time for One's Gotta Go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's gotta go. Let's start with this one. One's Gotta Go Playoff Edition. NHL, MLB, NHL, or NBA, Alex You Ferrario. said NHL twice, so can we have that on there NHL, twice? MLB, and FL is what I meant to okay. say, or NBA. Which one of those got to go? Well, part of me wants to get rid of the NFL because I cheat in the playoffs and do a stupid coin flip, but maybe they fix that. Uh, I got to go NBA playoffs. Everybody gets a chance now. We're all fixed. <laughs> I got to go. I, I got to go NBA NBA playoffs here. And, and look, I, I enjoy, thoroughly enjoy the NBA playoffs, but like I fully get invested in the conference finals and then the in the NBA finals. And like all of the other ones, I'm usually invested from start to finish. So unfortunately, I'll get rid of NBA. I'm going to get rid of NBA as well because everybody's allowed in the playoffs in the NBA with the stupid play-in tournament Kinda and all like that. sounds like BK's thoughts I for know, NHL. BK trying to ruin the NHL, fun. but it, it's whatever. But i got to get rid of the NBA because I don't like the play-in tournament. And honestly, there's hardly ever really a first-round matchup that you're usually really intrigued by. It's usually the second round when things really start to heat up in the NBA playoffs. So i got to get rid of the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I could say the same thing for what it's worth about the NFL playoffs as well. Yeah, but there's still so much pomp and circumstance going into that first game, even with the play-in games, because it's a one-game elimination. Yeah. 
Man, this is tough because, like, all of them are obviously incredible. The NHL playoffs are the best. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're watching it right now. This Rangers-Penguins series, the Penguins have no chance. Like, they're down to their third goalie. And even last night's game through the first period and a half at a minimum was super entertaining. Um, so how about Dallas and Calgary in Nashville, Colorado, crazy. both rounds. Everyone just expected to be an easy win. Calgary can't score. Dallas picked up a shutout last night and Nashville was a, a, a puck bounce away from winning game two with their third string goaltender. Yeah, I'm going NBA playoffs. I, I don't like it, but it's between that and and I know it's crazy to say, but that in Major League Baseball, honestly, because I I love when the, watching the Cardinals in the playoffs. It can be tough sometimes to watch some of the other series that I don't have a whole lot of vested interest in. So I'll go NBA, but it's a close second with the MLB. One's got to go playoff atmosphere edition. Rally towels, which are out tonight, by the way. Yeah, they are. See them right now. Big Falk's got them. Pre-game rallies. Big Falk. Justin Falk. Come on, A pre-game light show or the hype video. So rally towel, pre-game rally, pre-game light show or the hype video. Is this even a question? This is easy. The pregame light show. What are we doing here? I don't know, dude. None of the other ones match. None oh, of the never other seen ones. a good pregame light show. Then. Oh, I have, but I've I seen think it's an the even... rally for me. Actually, oh, no, man. Those have. rallies are good. Oh no, I I think the rally's the one that's got to go for me. Oh, so man. the rally towels are oh that's goats. a staple, and the pregame hype up videos. Dude, the hype video. Kelly and... Chase and Bobby Plager and Chris Pronger. They, or, I'm sorry, not Chris Pronger. Who was the other one that that boy? Oh, Brett Hall. They crushed it in that 19 cup run. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I got no, too excited. It, it, I am a sucker for a good hype video. Like some of the college football ones that they put out, especially prior to rivalry games, oh, I would be ready to run through a brick wall and tell Tanner to go do it for me whenever I see a really good hype video. <laughs> oh, that, you're a big, strong guy. No, no, no. Tanner is, though. Uh, so for no, me, I'm going with the rally. Oh, yeah. That's the one that's got to go for me. I, I'm with you. I got to get rid of the rally because I love the stuff that's at the arena, the rally towels, the pregame hype video, the pregame light show. I, I, I got to get rid of the rally. I, I, I have never heard somebody walk away from a game and be like, oh, man, that pregame light show, that got me jacked up. No, the pregame rallies get you pumped up. The Literally. music, the, Look, the drinking been, beers with people. When I went to Nashville on, to watch the Predators. You're an alcoholic. When I went to Nashville to watch the Nashville Predators play the Blues, and this was the regular season, I walked away talking about the pregame light show. So, yeah. Well, you would. You just haven't seen a good one. Talking about it tonight after I go to game number three. I have seen great ones. One's got to go ballpark drink edition. A soda, a beer, a margarita, or a lemonade. I'm not a soda guy, so soda's got to go for me. I'm not a soda guy. I only drink juice with kale and basil in it. I don't like to drink soda. It makes my it makes my tummy upset, and I can't run on the Peloton because of the combination. You don't run on a Peloton. I only else. I only use water instead of soda. Um, I think the lemonade's got to go here. I think the lemonade's got to go here. It's either a lemonade or a soda for me because the the other two have to be in there. But I think the lemonade's got to go I, because I do after like myself. All that, it's either the lemonade or the soda. <laughs> well, that's but I like go. myself right, cool. a nice Coca Cola every once in a while, mm-hmm. you know, or a nice Mountain Dew. Yep. You on the other hand, going to drink the soy juice? I I have to get rid of the lemonade too. Lemonade just soy doesn't soda. feel like something that, like when you're at a ball game to to drink. It, it feels more like when you're just outside grilling as lemonade. Margaritas don't really fit in as well either, but. I, it's alcohol, are you so I got to keep it's it. Margaritas. They I know. fit in anywhere. But I don't really think margaritas are like a ballpark. Night for Cinco de Mayo. It's fantastic. I'd get rid of the lemonade. Cinco de Mayo. No, today's the sixth. Wow, my days are running <laughs> together. Cinco de Mayo. I didn't do anything for Cinco de Mayo then. 
I thought it was today. I was going to go get myself some food in between. Not anymore. Next one up. One's got to go. Cardinals edition. Paul DeYoung, Paul Jeff Albert, John Mosellock, or Bill DeYoung. Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung. Next, Next question. One. You want to try and back up I, any I of the other ones? I don't even know who else was in that one. I'm going to be go. a real St. Louis in and say the problem for this team is Jeff Albert. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, I think even the real St. Louisans would agree with what we just said. Uh, last one here. One's got to go. In-laws, your significant other's friends, or the overly talkative neighbors? Oh, overly talkative neighbors. I'm stunned that, that Alex would say that. Right, you can, Cur- Curve's probably texted this one in because I know I don't like neighbors. It's not that I don't like neighbors. It's just I like to I like to keep to myself when I'm at home. I've got great neighbors because they don't, they're not they, overbearing. They get kicked out of their houses? Well, just one of them. Oh, okay. Just one of them. Didn't the other house burn down? That yeah, was another okay, one. Okay, so maybe we should. I think BK's actually what has happened not happy with the overly talkative <laughs> neighbors either. I, I strictly bought a house in like the end of a cul-de-sac, so the houses are like, you know, away, so I uh. can't see people in my backyard. Tanner doesn't have any of these. Yeah, he does his dog. (laughs) Their dogs attack him. Hey, 101 ESPN is live today. We're here until 2 o'clock. We've got about 10 minutes left for you. The fast lane's coming up from 2 to 6, live from Enterprise Center, as we gear up for game number three. If you've got tickets and you're headed to Enterprise tonight or on Sunday afternoon, be sure to get here early. Enjoy the Bud Light happy hour pregame party in the Anheuser-Busch Beer Garden, beginning two hours prior to puck drop. Enjoy live music, food, and drink specials, and stop by the 101 ESPN table to get registered to win a signed blues jersey coming up next let's hit the bk and ferrario rewind and we'll give you a chance to win a four pack of tickets to next tuesday night's budweiser bash coming up here on 101 espn we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn From today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Right now is your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to this Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Orioles. It's the next Budweiser Bash game of the 2022 season, and it features two limited-edition bobblehead giveaways, David Freeze and Lee Smith. All the details can be found over at cardinals.com slash promotions, or you can just text in right now, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you are number texter, if you are texter number 101, and you know what we are apparently Currently sending out to space to be able to have contact with the aliens. If you can text in what they're planning to send to space You're to be able to one? have contact, t- contact with the aliens, <laughs> you are the winner of a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night. Are you going to send Budweiser one? Bash? I don't think I'm going to be a part of that. I think you should check in on it and see if you could send one. I think Jamie has uh, volunteered himself. I think the aliens would like to see um, that. Happy to hear that. Um Alex, number one thing you're looking forward to tonight in game three between the Blues and the Wild. It's just how how quickly the Blues set the tone. I mean, we've talked about the matchups, and I'm really curious to see how Craig Berube decides to deploy them, who goes against that Felino line. But I thought Joey said it best, and if you missed it, you could check it out on the podcast afterwards, 101ESPN.com, thanks to Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. But 
I think it's going to be bully versus bully, and I'm really curious to see how the Blues try and set that tone quickly. I wouldn't be surprised if the Braden Shen line is the line that starts out tonight for the Blues. So that's the one thing I'm going to be really interested in is can they can they put the physicality on Minnesota before Minnesota puts it on them? Yeah, I, I, I mean, for me, it's it's all about the defense. I want to find out how they are going to maneuver things without three potential top six defense defenders for them. One guy that really helps you on the penalty kill. Another guy that has helped them on the power play, and he has fixed the number one thing that plagued them all season long in Nick Letty, which is the defensive zone excess. He's been excellent in that regard. He was great in game one for this Blues team. Uh, losing Nick Letty is a really big deal in my mind. I don't love the fact that they're going to be without Marco Scandella potentially for this one. And Robert Bortuzzo, I think, stabilizes things on that third pair. So that's the number one thing that I'm looking forward to. H- how do you overcome those losses that you have in your decor? Hey, last thing for today, our teammate Chris Duncan would have turned 41 years old this month and in celebration of his birthday we have a new limited edition dunk t-shirt now available for a limited time yesterday you heard on the station uh, especially on the fast lane they celebrated his birthday our buddy dunk now through friday may 20th you can order this year's chris duncan t-shirt with proceeds from all sales going to support the chris duncan memorial scholarship fund to find out more information check it out 101espn.com slash dunk 16 that's 101espn.com slash Dunk, D-U-N-C-1-6. If you go over there, you'll see all of the information for how you can get this year's Dunk shirt. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll be back on Monday at 11 a.m. Alex will have your pregame coverage starting tonight at 6 o'clock. The Fast Lane is coming up live next from Enterprise Center here on 101 ESPN. Now we can crush you. <laughs> You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.